Hey everyone, Worldwide Jew here, and on, and today on this episode, we are going to be talking about Yemeni Jews. This episode is part one out of two uh, on the episode on, on Yemeni Jews. Some might consider Yemeni Jews Mizrahi Jews, which is true. At some, uh, which is true, as some Mizrahi Jews did probably live in Yemen, but most of the Jews who lived live or lived in Yemen are uh, are from a separate separate ethnic group of Yemeni Jews. Yemeni Jews or Yemeni Jews or Temanim or Yehude Taman Taman are those Jews who lived or once lived in Yemen. The term may also the term may also refer to descendants of the Yemenite Jewish community. Between June nineteen forty nine and September nineteen fifty, the overwhelming majority of Yemen, Yemen's Jewish population was transported to Israel in Operation Magic Carpet. After several waves of persecution throughout throughout Yemen, most Yemenite Jews now live in Israel, while smaller communities live in the United States, UK, and elsewhere. Only a handful remain in Yemen, around 50 or so. The few remaining Jews experience intense and, and, and at times violent anti-Semitism on a daily basis, which, really, which, is real, which really sucks. Yemenite Jews have a unique religious tradition. I'll also be talking about um, um, Operation Magic Carpet later in um, Part 2. So, yeah, I'll look forward to that. Uh, Yemenite Jews have a unique religious tradition that distinguishes them from Ashkenazi, Sephardi, and other Jewish groups. They have been described as the most Jewish of all Jews. Yemenite Jews are generally described as belonging to Mizrahi Jews, though they differ from the general trend of Mizrahi groups in Israel, which have undergone a process of total or partial assimilation to the Sephardic culture and Sephardic liturgy. While the Shami subgroup of Yemenite Jews did adopt the Sephardi influence right, this was no, in no small part due to essentially being forced upon them and did not reflect a demographic or cultural shift. Some Jewish families have preser per preserved traditions relating to their tribal affiliation, based on partial geno ge genealogical records passed down generation after generation. In Yemen, for example, some of the Jews traced their lineage to Judah, others to Benjamin, while yet others to Levi and, Re Levi and Reuben. A particular interest is one distinguished Jewish family in Yemen who traced their lineage to Bani, one of the sons of Peretz, the son of Judah. The Yemeni Jews are a very ancient and separate grouping, not included under Ashkenazi Yiddish or Sephardi Spanish main Jewish rites. They developed largely in isolation, and their distinct attribute was to largely follow the teachings of the Rambam, Moses Maimonides, who came from Cordova, Spain, and resided in Cairo from 18th, who resided in Cairo, and from 1168 to 1204. He wrote a famous letter to the Yemeni community in answer to the question, if a Jew is thrown by death unless he converts to Islam, should he choose to convert or accept death? He wrote that it is preferable to convert because one first can, because first one can secretly continue to believe and practice Judaism, as many conversals did in Spain. And second, there may come a time when the forced convert can revert back to his original path, as a Rambam once did. He also advised, because he moved to Egypt and then he... He converted to uh, Islam, he, but he moved to Egypt and he became Jewish again. He also advised that conversion to Islam was preferable and one as opposed to conversion to Christianity, because Islam is eternally monotheistic while Christianity requires belief in a trinity. The reason the Yemeni, Yemenite Jews would ask such a question is because they lived under a terribly oppressive Muslim regime. Although they had developed a strong community during the pre-Muslim period, once Islam arrived in Yemen, they were very badly treated. It was common for Jews to be abused in broad daylight on the streets, and Jewish women stayed mainly in their houses and only went dressed out as Muslims. But many Jewish communities experienced harsh treatment. What made the Yemenite experience worse was the co-called orphan decree. Under this, if any Jewish child was orphaned, then they were automatically required to be converted to Islam. To avoid this fate, many children were either betrothed and or married at very young ages, something for which the Yemenite community is known, but the origin of this custom is not well known. 
The Ammonites were not homogenous. They're they're divided into at least three major three major religious groups. There was a group who were influenced by Sephardic rites and mysticism called Shami, and those who were not influenced in this way were called Baladi, from the Arabic word for home country. The offshoot Baladi was the Rambanis and Dor, the Dordam, of both Dordaim, both both of whom advocated a more rational version of Judaism and most or mostly rejected Sephardi mysticism. Most of the Jewish communities in Yemen lived more than lived in more than 1,100 1, towns and villages along the highlands of Yemen that were characterized with a better climate and relatively high rate of precipitation. During the isolation, the Yemenite Jews maintained contact with important Jewish centers, especially with Egypt and Babylonia. Their scholarship was the highest of the standard throughout their history. Some important midrashim, unknown elsewhere, were composed and preserved in Yemen, including the Midrash Haggadol, written in Aden in the 13th century, and the Chem, Chemdat HaYamim. The Geniza in Cairo yielded many letters dated from the 11th century onward. Exchange between rabbis in Yemen with the heads of the Jewish community in Cairo. The Rambam, Maimonides became, the Rambam Maimonides became the teacher par excellence. He taught them through special epistles and, sent them the, and spent them copies of his code at an, early, at an early date. No holy book besides the Tanakh was copied so meticulously in Yemen as Rambam, Rambam's Mishnah Torah. The Ammonite Jews also maintained contact with, Jew with Jewish scholarship in Europe. The writings of the great rabbis of Germany and France were known to them, and this is how it happened. In one of my Yemenite manuscripts, I found a description of how Yemenite Jews would line up in their harbor whenever, sh whenever a ship arrived bringing Jewish merchants from Germany on their way to India to buy silk. They would ask the merchants for their sacred books, which they would then hand copy before the ships continued on their way. The Yemenites are, till this day, extremely skilled scribes. There was never Hebrew printing press in Yemen, with the exception of Den, and all thousands of holy books used by the Jews, Jews there were handwritten. The Jews of Yemen clearly had very early contact with the Jews in Moorish Spain, the medieval center of Jewish poetry, for they soon adopted the style of the Spanish Jewish Patanim. Pa, this contact led to a flowering of poetic genius which outlived and almost surpassed their Spanish masters. A book containing Yemenite songs and poems, poems is called the Diwan. My own collection of such diwans is now being cataloged by a great Yemen, Yemenite scholar, Professor Yehuda Ratabi, and contains over 5,000 poems, many hitherto unknown. The, the Yemenite Jews were barely tolerated, treated as demis, i.e. paraz, by their Muslim rulers, as is legislated by Islam for all infidels under their rule. Their fortune fluctuated throughout the centuries, depending on the benevolence or lack of it of the respective rulers. While the Muslims were mostly farmers, the Jews were in charge of crafts on which the Muslims often depended. This meant that even for the most hateful Muslim ruler was loath to expel the Jews, unless they could teach their trades to the Muslim neighbors. Anyone who's been privileged to meet everyone anyone who has been privileged to meet a Yemeni, Yemenite Jew will have been impressed with the refinement, modesty and piety which are their which are the Yemenite hallmarks. The roots of the Jews in Yemen, Timani in Hebrew, start at the dawn of her history. Besides being mentioned in Tanakh, Job's friend Eliphaz came from Taman, and many of the prophets speak of Taman. The queen of Sheba is said to have heard about King Solomon from Jews in Yemen, located next to the king kingdom of Sheba. Even in Islamic tradition, it is reported that the contact between King Solomon and Queen of Sheba was established through the Jews in Yemen, and there are reports of Jews in Yemen during the Roman times. Province, pro, pro, province compromising the southwest part of Arabia. Various traditions trace the earliest settlements of Jews in this region back to the time of Solomon, and the Sadanai Jews have a 
legend to the to the effect that their forefathers settled there 42 years before the destruction of the first temple. Under the prophet Jeremiah, 75,000 Jews, including priests and Levites, are said to have gone to Yemen, and when Ezra commanded the Jews to return to Jerusalem, they had disobeyed, whereupon he pronounced an everlasting ban upon them. Tradition states, however, that is a punishment that as a punishment for this hasty action, Ezra was denied burial in Palestine. As, although, as, as a result of this uh, tradition, which is devoid of, uh, of historicity, no Jew of Yemen gives the name of Ezra to a child, although all other biblical appellatives are found there. The old Yemenite manuscripts are those of the Bible, which Yemenite Jews called Taj, crown. They date from the 9th century, and each of them have a short Masoretic introduction, while many contain Arabic commentaries. The Matzorah was highly valued by the Jews of Yemen, and a special compilation made by Yahya Salik was calling by, by Ginsburg the Masorah of Teman. They were acquainted with Sadia, Rashi, Kimhi, Nachmanides, and uh, Yitzhak Arama, besides pr pr producing a number of eschages found among themselves. In the 14th century, Nathaniel ben uh, Isaiah uh, uh, wrote an Arabic commentary on the Bible, full of Haggadot and almost wholly destitute of any real biblical hermeneutics. While in the se second half of the 15th century, Sadia uh, B. David uh, al uh, Sadia B. David uh, al Adani was the important um, author was the author of a commentary on Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Abraham B. Solomon was wrote on the Prophet's British Museum. Uh, of the Talmud. Uh, uh, of the Talmud, the following treatises are now known to exist in the manuscript: Baza, Peshan, Ma'od, Katan, Megillah, and Zebahim. The Yemenite Abner B. Ker Hashoshani wrote a double commentary in Hebrew on the En Yaqob of Jacob Habib between 1478 and 1473. 1478 and 1483. Sadia B. David al-Adani composed a gloss on the Yad of Maimonides. Among the Midrashim compiled in Yemen mentioned should be made of the Midrash HaGadol of David Bar Aram uh, Al-Adani, Volume I, Edition Shet, oh, David Bar Aram Al-Adani. Between 1413 and 1430, the, the physician Yaha Zechariah B. Solomon wrote a compilation entitled Midrash HaHafez, which included the Pentateuch Lamentations, Esther, and Haftarot. While between 1484 and 1493, David al David al-Lawani composed his Midrash al-Waj al-Mugni. In the 13th and 14th centuries, super commentaries on the Yad were written by Salih Musa al-Hadari, Isaac B. Abraham, and David B. Solomon. The Kalaba was and is very popular among the Yemenite Jews, who are familiar with the Zohar and with, and with the works of all European Kabbalists. One of them, Solomon B. David HaKohen, has written a Kabbalistic treatise in 13 chapters, entitled Lehem Shalomo. Among the Yemite poets who wrote Hebrew and other Arabic hymns, modeled after the Spanish school, mention may be made of the Yehid al-Dahari and the members of the Ashabazi family. A single non-religious work, Inspired Harari, was written in 1573 by Zaharia B. Um, under the title Sefer Hamusar. The philosophical writers include Sadia B. Jabez and Sadia B. Masud, both at the beginning of the 14th century. Ibn al-Hawas, the author of a treatise in the form of the dialogue, written in Rimpose and termed by its author, The Flower of Yemen. Hassan al-Damari and Joseph Halevi Jeffis wrote the philosophical treatises near Yisrael in 1420 in Kitab al-Mashah. Manuscripts of the Yemen Siddur are in the British Museum. The prayers agree in part with the Sephardic and, and, and in part with the Ashkenazi liturgy, and their language is partly Hebrew and partly Arab, Aramaic and Arabic. While the, so, while the daily so-called Ma'amadot prayers are written in Aramaic, the Yemenite Siddur appeared in Jerusalem in 1892. 
and in Vienna in 1896. The basic factor which determined the social status of the Yemenite Jews was the religious political arrangement imposed on them by the Muslim regime, Muslim regime since 629. The Dima, namely, the protection they got from the government in return for the jizya, the tax each male had to pay. This arrangement was more effective in the center than in remote regions of the country, where Jews lived among the tribes and the relations were based on the tribal pre-Islamic social institute of Jar. The protection bestowed upon by the sheikh and his men upon the Jew, as upon any other weak person within, within the tribal community, was based on the issue of honor and had nothing to do with Islam. The general trend in the social status of Jews among Muslims in Yemen was one of deterioration. Since even the Zaidi regime eventually adopted all anti-Jewish destructive and humiliating regulations established by the most uh, extremist Sunni religious scholars or rulers. Although on the declarative level, Jews are not compelled to convert, the entire history of the Jews in Islamic Yemen was an unceasing struggle with the attempts of the government and Muslim society to turn them into Muslims. Indeed, conversion to Islam was a distinct phenomenon among the Jews of Yemen, even though it never stemmed from a real and deep conviction of, tr of the truth in Islam. Basically, the Jews were, the Jew was considered by Yemeni Muslims as inferior to and as an inferior human being, devoid of any rights. Jews were not allowed to build more than two-story houses, carry arms, wear light-colored garments, ride mountains and donkeys, except and even then only a side saddle like a woman, or live among Muslims. Also, they were ordered to wear side locks as to be recognized as Jews, speak humbly to Muslims, and walk only to the left of Muslim. The Jew had to be very careful when speaking about Islam or Muslim institutions as any sign of criticism or disparagement against them might end in capital punishment. In principle, Muslim and Jewish communities did not interact, but in contrast to cities and towns where Jews were completely excluded in neighborhoods, there, mo there was a more lenient approach, lenient approach in villages, where the style of life produced more diverse possibilities for social or any or other kind of encounters between Jews and Muslims. No wonder than that the cultural distance in all aspects, spiritual as well as material, between village Jews and Muslims was more was much less clear-cut and decisive than that between townfolk Jews and Muslims. By and large, Yemeni Jews were very poor. Only rarely do we hear that about rich Jews in Yemen, where they could freely deal in international nationwide trade, as in the 11th, 12th, and 18th centuries during the, and, or during the Second Ottoman occupation, which was from 1872 to 1918. The outcome of the ceaseless social and religious pressure on the, on, on the Jews was their being the poorest component of the Yemeni population. It is true that almost all the citizens of Yemen were poor because of endless military struggles and the despotism of his rulers, as in times of Iman Yaha, 1918-1948. But the Jews also suffered but, but the Jews suffered also due to their social inferiority and their exclusion from the main source of livelihood, agriculture. Most Jews were artisans and could make quite a good living in days of peace and calm. However, this situation was rare and in the customary situation of political turmoil and disorder or during frequent years of natural afflictions like local, uh, like local droughts and, drought and locusts, there was no demand for the crafts of Jews. The best proof of the poverty of, of the Jews in Yemen is the, a list of the Jizya prayers, where most of them are recorded as Adna, lowest, and only small numbers highest, Allah, highest. There were only a few families who could boast of their wealth, made via international commerce or through Aden or Hudaya, such as the Hibshush family or Israel Hubari, who made his fortune as the exclusive importer of arms from Germany and Belgium for Imam Yaha's army. Famine was the main reason for conversion to Islam, particularly because Jews were not helped by the government as foods were, as food, with food as were Muslims. The Messianic activity of the Jews of Yemen was one of their most uh, characteristic features, even in pre-Islamic times. From the fall of Yusuf Dua Nawaz in 525 to 530, in the war against Ethiopian Christians 
to the rise of Muhammad, the appearance of Muhammad stimulated the messianic exceptions among the Jews. Some scholars described to Abdullah ibn Sabah, the Jews, the Jews convert to Islam at the start of the new religion, and similarly to other proselytes, an important role in conveying messianic notions to Islam, particularly the, Shi the Shi'i branch. On the other hand, the Zaidi sect, which, which was the foremost religious which is the foremost religious political force in Yemen from the end of the 9th century, which had belonged to the Shia, elevated the imam to a meta-human level and did not adopt the idea of hidden imam existing at Vincentia, Gabia, whose event was awaited by al-Mahdi al-Mutsar. Yet Muslim, Muslim Yemen was not free of messianic tension throughout the generations, especially among the Sunni Shafi section of the population most of it in the south, and often, and often Jews and Muslim messianic activities nurtured each other. For example, some mu mu Muslims follow Jewish Messiah. Moreover, the strong Jewish belief that on a certain day, Messiah, the son of David, will be revealed, would redeem the Jews of Yemen and bring their, them to the land seeped bring them to the land seeped into Muslims in Yemen, and Dean made them fear, fearful, lest they be punished for their unfavorable treatment of Jews. By contrast, the authorities, whether Zaidi from while well, Zaidi or Sunni were highly suspicious of the Jews' messianic faith, regarding any activity stemming from it as a rebellion against the government requiring a swift response. Such reactions to the display of messianism in Yemen since the 12th century contributed to the continuous decline in political and social status of Yemen and the shrinking of the areas of their settlement. It is impossible to present a complete picture of Jewish literature in Yemen, as a considerable part is still hidden in unpublished manuscripts. Available sources do not attest that there existed a Jewish literature in Yemen prior to the 10th century. However, it is probable that the writings of the sages in Erez, Israel, and Babylonia, namely the Talmud, Babylonian, not Palestinian, and the, Miz and the Mizrash men arrived in Yemen and, and were preserved there in carefully copied manuscripts. Jewish Yemenite literature can constitutes an integral part of Jewish literature in the Muslim Arabic realm from Spain to Persia. In its first steps, Jewish literature in Yemen echoes Jewish literature produced in the major Jewish spiritual centers, Italy, Iraq, Erz, it, uh, the land of Israel, Spain, North Africa, and Egypt. Thus, its first work is probably a Judeo-Arabic translation made by Zechariah ben uh, Seed al-Yamani of Josephine's History of the Jews during the Second Temple, a Hebrew work composed in Italy in 1933, with the anonymous Mahaberet Hatijan, a compendium of the reading rules of the Bible as known from the Eastern tradition of Asadia. The third work is a Judeo-Arabic commentary of Al-Fasi's compendium of, to the Talmud Tractat Hilun by an anonymous author, seemingly of the 11th century. Fourth work of the same time, is an enlarged adaptation of the Eretz Israeli scholar Rao Nathan Hayashiva's commentary on the Mishnah. The first original work is the ethical philosophical Busan al Ukul, written again in Judea Arabic uh, by, Bara, by Nathaniel Bora Farumi around 1150. It is not then an accident that all aforementioned works are in Judeo Arabic, as, as since the 10th to 15th century, Yemen Jewry was culturally uh, was culturally well immersed in Arab, Arab Muslim culture, just as like other Jewish communities in Spain, uh, North Africa, and the East. But there's a highly significant difference because for all the other communities, the proximity to Arab Muslim culture has been curtailed around 1250. The period from 11 1150 to 1500 was the most productive for Jewish literature in Yemen in various fields. A. Poetry. Hebrew poetry in Yemen started around the second half of the 12th century, first by Said ben Marab, who was still influenced by ancient Arab Israel Piyut, then by his contemporary Daniel Bara Fayumi, 
probably Nathaniel's brother, who was readily influenced by a Spanish school of Hebrew poetry. They both wrote liturgical poems. A later poet who lived before the beginning of the 13th century was Abraham ben Halfan, from whom we have rem reminisce of Diwan of both liturgical and secular poems. The latest poet in that period was David ben Yesha Halevi, around 1500. B. Biblical Commentary. This was the richest field of literary activity in that period of Yemen, of which we mentioned here are only four works. The earliest is Nur al-Alam by, Nur, Nur al by Nathaniel ben Yesha, 1329, on the Pentateuch. But the other two more important commentaries on the Pentateuch are Midrash Hafez by Zachariah Harofe, first half of the 15th century, and Al-Waj al-Mudi, still in manuscript, by David ben, David ben Yesha Halevi. A commentary on the early prophets was compiled by Abraham ben Solomon in the 14th century, only partially published. Midrash compilations. The most comprehensive of which is Midrash Haggadol by David Haaladani. Halacha. Most works are commentaries on Maimonides' Mishnah Torah, like that of by Zakaria Harofe. Philosophy. In this category too, most of the works are commentaries on Maimonides' works, especially the God of, of the Perplexed. But there are many other works, characterized by their allegoric tendency regarding the Agadah of sages and even biblical figures and stories. This tendency was influenced on one side by the Mahmudian school in Spain, and on the other by Ismaili kings who flourished in Yemen. The most interesting work of this Yemeni school is the Kitab al-Qa'iq, compiled by the rabbis of Zata'a, who were harshly criticized by the rabbis of Sana'a. Another kind of, another kind of philosophical compositions unique to Yemen is the Ma'asil, short discussions providing answers to philosophical questions, like that of Hoker Beshalomo. First half of the 15th century. F. Lexography. Lexography. Most of the compilations in this category were written by Hebrew Arabic lexicons, aimed at enabling the understanding of the Mishnah, Maimonides' Mishnah Torah, such as the Al Jami by David ben Yeshahalevi, science, mainly astronomy needed for the establishing of the Hebrew calendar and lists of medicines, like the Kitab al Wajiz by Zachary Harofe, the most prolific writers who acted in almost each of the above mentioned fields and are more. And more are Sarias ben David Haladanis, David ben Yeshahalevi, Yesh and Moses al Badlia, who lived from 1475, 1475 to 1525. Most of the works in the period, in this, in the period under discussion, except poetry and Midrash Hagadol, were in Judea Arabic. The closer the closer relations between Yemenite Jewry and Jewish spiritual centers, and in the reinforced encounter with their different traditions and customs, uh, resulted first in a comprehensive wave to attempt to adjust Yemenite traditions with these foreign but prestigious traditions. The major scholar who dedicated almost all of his writings was, to that end was Isaac Wana, first half of the 17th century, a prolific writer known for, mainly known for the prayer book he compiled, the Pa'am Mansahag, and the commentary attached to it, Hudushin, being a dedicated and propagandist of the, of the Kabbalah. However, a tendency of neglecting the genuine agent Yemeni traditions provoked strong re resistance among the Sani scholars in the 18th century, who tried to find the golden mean. This was worked out primarily by Hida Sali, the president of the Sa'ani Jewish court, who was unchallenged, the unchallenged spiritual and communal leader of Yemeni Jewry for more than 40 years. To support his work, he, ser he searched ancient manuscripts and documented oral and written traditions on all aspects of religious and communal life. He was accepted in Yemen as ultimate religious authority and his numerous works are, are so considered until today. The 19th century presents, in general, a very pale image of Jewish Yemenite literature, since most of the production by, by the time was chiefly additions 
too, and commentaries on Salih's work. No wonder then that under the alleged impact of Jewish European scholars, some young Sani scholars, headed by Yehe Kafir Kafa, set out to improve the spiritual level, Yemenite, spiritual level of Yemenite Jewry by a complete rejection of Kabbalistic literature and customs, including the Zohar, and a return to the medieval school, based on the Talmud and Judeo-Arabic philosophical lecture, literature of the Sadiago and Maimonides. The trend of this new school, very active in the first half of the 20th century and severely criticized by the Orthodox majority of the Jewish community, yielded a rich literary production. The culmination of this of which that was the rabbi of Joseph, Kaffa, the grandson of Yehe Kaffa, already in Israel. He left Yemen in 1943 and died in 2000, who was awarded the, prize, awarded the Israel Prize in 1969. In the framework of this production, one field should be specifically noted, that of chronological works, which had already been started in the 18th century by Said Sadi and Yehe Sali. The, tendence of search, the tendency of searching Yemenite tradition and history continued in the land of Israel, first by Yemeni-born scholars like Abraham Nadaf, and later by younger scholars, natives of the new land. Close to this kind of cultural activity, one may mention the Yemenite po poets and prose writers, who prominent figures as Mordechai Tabib, who are spokesmen of their communal brethren and describe the difficulties of their cultural and economic acculturation. Yemenite Jewry had developed a very rich and particular... <laughs> Yemenite Jewry had developed a very particular and rich tradition in all aspects of material culture. Uh, yet music, dance, architecture, clothing, embroidery, gold and silver crafts, and so forth. Although we may not find a few common although we may find not a few although we may find not a few common characteristics with the neighboring material culture of the immediate close circle of the Muslims in Yemen or farther circles like that of India or East Africa, it's convincingly clear convincingly clear that the material Jewish culture was different from the Muslim one. This is much more unequivocal regarding what is connected to religious life, such as the music of the synagogues or the shaping of cere ceremonial objects like the Hanukkah candles or Torah cases. All that is unfamiliar culture. Brought to the Holy Land when Yemenite Jews first came en masse in 1881, attracted scholars and artists like A.Z. Adelson and Borshatz in Jerusalem. The former established there around 1910 the Shirat Israel Poetry of Israel Institute, designed to train young Yemenites in their musical traditions, while, later while the latter established in 1906 an association named Balazel with the goal of promoting Yemeni Yemenite gold and silver craft, embroidery, and other handicrafts. To, to that end, he set up workshops in Jerusalem and the Mosheva of Ben Shemin, where Yemenite artists worked and trained for industrial production. In general, Yemenite material culture was sympathetically welcomed in the land of Israel, and the, and the latter's newly shaped culture derived from derived uh, some of its representative elements in music, dance, and artistic works from, works from Yemenite tradition. The Yemenite community had sources, scores of artists of all kinds, some of them expressing Yemenite tradition, others more rooted in general Israeli culture. The most active field of, is the most active field is music. Since the first woman singer, Baraka Zafira, a native of Jerusalem, who had a significant career in the land of Israel as in Europe, there were, and still are, scores of Yemenite singers, mostly women, who stand in the forefront of of light music in Israel, the most famous name of that, the most famous name is that of Shoshana uh, Damari, who left Yemen in 1930 when she was a year old and received the Israel Prize in 1988. A much more di diversified artist was Sarah Levi Tanai, born in Jerusalem in, in 1911, poetess, composer, and choreographer, and founder of the Imbal, the most important artistic representative uh, of the young state of Israel in the U.S., Europe, and performing scores 
a musical about the folklores of Yemeni, Yemenite Jews. While Yemenite singers in Israel could derive their tradition from the folklore of their families in Yemen, Yemenite painters could not, as painting or any kind of plastic art has not existed in Yemen, including a limited engagement with manuscript illumination. This explains why the field of art came relatively later than others to Yemenites in Israel. Two names of fewer than 20 may be mentioned here, Avshalom Ukashi and Itamar Siani, who hold, who hold honored place in among Israeli painters. Of all fields of art, only one is still vital and flourishing in its original form after 2,000 years, singing. This widely requested cultural product is performed not only by Yemeni-born singers like Aharad Aram, but by scores of Israeli-born singers of the second and even third generation of people who came from Yemen. Admittedly, this cultural element, along with the traditional Yemenite performance of the prayer in the communal synagogue and Yemenite dishes as well, symbolizes the intense wish of the many of the Yemenites not to be over-acculturated in Israel and completely lose their unique cultural elements. The subject of Jewish surnames in Yemen is a complex one. Most surnames are genetilic or toponymic surnames, meaning they derive from their ancestors' place of res residence, village, or town name. Um, while fewer are eponymous and patronymic surnames, being derived from the uh, being derived from the name of an ancient ancestor, uh, Gadasi from Al Gadas, Kadabi from Kataba, Man Manakwadi from Manakada, Damari from Damar, Dantvi from Demand, etc. Some surnames reflect an ancestor's profession. In some cases, surnames are derived from a certain physical uh, characteristic of one's distant ancestor. Some families bear original Spanish surnames, such as Medina de Giat. Uh, some names went through additional changes upon returning to the land of Israel. For example, some who formerly bore the surname Raha, Radha have changed their names to Ratzon. The Hebrew being the direct translation of the of the words meaning in Arabic, while yet others have simply changed their names to more Hebraized sounds, such as the surnames of Al Nadab, which was t later changed to Nadab, and Arkabi, uh, which was later changed to Argov, or Shehib, meaning one to one whose voice is hoarse, which was changed which was changed to Shevach, meaning praise, by a reversal of the letters. Today, most, Yemenite, most of the Yemenite Jewish population lives in Israel, with significant portions of the population living in the United States, United States and the United Kingdom, what with the UK Yemenite Jewish population living in Stamford, in Stamford Hill, London. There are around 435,000 Yemeni Jews living in Israel, around 80,000 Yemenite Jews living in the USA, and around 10,000 Yemeni Jews living in the UK, more, spe more specifically in England. Today, there are around 50 Jews in Yemen, but in my personal account, I'm estimating only there to only be about 10, 20 to 40 Jews. Um, Jews are Yemen's only indigenous religion, indigenous, Jews are Yemen's only indigenous religious minority, concentrated, concentrated around Raida and Sana'a. Sana Sana Yemenite Jews also live in other countries that are not mentioned, but their population is knowledgeable. You know, it's not really like enough to form like a community, but they do live in other countries that are, you know, not Israel, the United States, and uh, UK, you know, it's pretty obvious, but like, you know, it's, and, and Yemen, and it's not, it's pretty obvious that like, you know, they do, but like, you know, it's not like a huge population. The language section in this episode will be rather short as the main language of the Yemeni Jews is just a variation of Judeo-Arabic that I spoke about in the Mizrahi Jewish episode called Judeo-Yemeni or Yemen Yemenite Judeo-Arabic. Judeo-Yemeni Arabic, also known as Judeo-Yemeni and Ju Yemenite Judeo-Arabic, 
is a variety of Arabic, sp Arabic spoken by Jews living or formerly living in Yemen. The language is quite different from mainstream Yemeni Arabic and is written in, in the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet. The cities of Sana'a, Aden, Al-Baida, and Haban Haba district are, and the villages in their districts each have or had their own dialect. The vast majority of Yemeni Jews have relocated to Israel and have shifted from modern Hebrew as their first language. In 1995, Israel was also home to 50,000 speakers of Judeo-Yemeni, uh, while uh, in 1995, 1,000 remained in Yemen. Although more, more recent estimates have put the number of speakers of Judeo-Yemeni at around 35,000 to 50,000 speakers. According to Yemeni Rabbi Al-Maharabi, most of these have since left for the United States. There is a concentration of Judeo-Yemeni speakers in mostly Israel and Yemen, and outside of those Jews, two countries, Judeo-Yemeni speakers are far and few between. Yemeni Jews also speak modern Hebrew because most of them have moved to Israel. But some Yemeni Jews also speak English, American and British English, as a lot of them live in the United States and England. Yemeni Jews also probably speak various other languages due to the places they live in, but this is not as negligible as most of the Yemeni Jews population is located in Israel, United States and England. If you want to listen to what Judeo-Yemeni sounds like, I'll be linking a music video in the description where uh, Judeo-Yemeni is sung. Now is the history section where I'll be talking about the detailed, rich, and deep history of the Yemeni Jews. It is said that Ye the, the Jews first settled in Yemen in 628 or 43 BC, but according to tradition, Jews first settled in Yemen 42 years before the destruction of the first temple. In 68 CE, the Jewish diaspora at the time of the second temple's destruction, according to Josephus, was in Parthia, per Persia, Babylonia, Iraq, and Arabia, as well as some Jews beyond the Euphrates in uh, Idibin. In Josephus' own words, he has informed the remotest Arabians about, about the destruction. These Jews are believed to have been the progenitors of the Jews of Yemen. The roots of the Jews in Yemen, Taman in Hebrew, go back to biblical, biblical times. Besides being mentioned in the Tanakh, Jacob's friend Eliphaz came in from Taman, and many of the prophets speak of Taman. The Queen of Sheba is said to have heard about King Solomon from Jews in Yemen, located next to the Kingdom of Sheba. Even Islamic tradition is it is even in Islamic tradition is reported that the contact between King Solomon and the Queen Queen of Sheba was established through Jews in Yemen, and there are reports of Jews in Yemen during Roman times. The actual immigration of Jews into Yemen appears to have taken place about the beginning of the second century CE, although the province is although the province is mentioned neither by Josephus nor the Mishnah or Talmud. According to Winkler. The Jews of uh, who's a historian, the Jews of Yemen enjoyed prosperity until the sixth century C.E. and the fourth sovereign before Du Nawaz convert was a convert to Judaism. The kingdom of Sheba, the, the kingdoms of Sheba, Redan, Hadramut, and Yamanat, Yemen, were united under the hegemony of the Yemenite kings, who were as follows. Until recently, Du Nawaz was regarded as the first king who was a zealous for Judaism. But a chronicle of saints in the British Museum gives the name of the major, Akir, who was condemned by death to Shubril Yaqub at the instigation of his counselors, the rabbis. Although all these legends are extremely biased and are chiefly devoted to the portrayal of the persecution of Christians by Jews, it is evident that Judaism had, in the 4th century, taken a firm uphold in the a firm hold upon the royal house. In this legend, as in others, the city of Nadran is important. Two Jewish youths are said to have been killed there, whereupon Dunawaz conquered the city and executed the king, offering him the choice between Judaism and death. The effect of these traditions was a bitter oppression of the Jews, first by the Christians and later by the Arabs. In 250 CE, Jewish elder from Yemen, Himar, brought burial in Beit Sha'arim, burial site of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. 
the origins of the Jews of Yemen remain obscure. One local Yemenite Jewish tradition dates the early settlements of Jews in the Arabian Peninsula to the time of King Solomon. Another legend places Jewish craftsmen in the region as requested by Bilquis, the queen of Sheba, Saba, which is Sheba. As a more likely explanation is the spice trade. Yemen was a key point on the Asian trade route that brought spices and perfumes from India to Yemen and from there to Greater Syria through Hejaz and, third, and the 3rd century BC to the 3rd century CE. Jewish merchants played an important role in this trade. The southern part of the Arabian Peninsula is called Al-Yaman, the south, after which the country is named in the west. In pre-Islamic times, there were five separate political entities in this area, the history which is, of which is only known in epigraphic sources from the 10th century BCE, Ma'in, the capital Karna, Himar, Afar, Saba, Marib, Kabatan, Tamna, and Haramat, Sab Sabwa. The country was politically united under the Himari kingdom from the 4th century CE. The Himari kings of Kuharib adopted the Jewish religion in 384, which was retained until 525 or, or 530. When Dunawas, the, latest, the last Himari king, was killed and defeated by the invading Christian army from Abyssinia. In 570, the country was conquered by the Sassanid Persians and in, 16, in 629 was taken over without a fight by the Muslim army. Since then, Yemen has been a Muslim country, although its ruling dynasties have changed many times and almost, ne and almost never, Yemen has co constituted one political entity. The old Jewish uh, cemetery at Beisharim, there are tombs of Jews who remain were, who remains were brought from there from Yemen in the section, second century CE. Despite their isolation, the Yemenite Jews maintained contact with important Jewish centers, especially with Egypt and Babylonia. The scholarship was one of the highest standards throughout this, their history. Some important midrashim, unknown elsewhere, were composed and preserved in Yemen, including the Midrash Haggadol, written at the end of the 13th century, and the Chanda Hayamim. The immigration of the majority of Jews into Yemen appears to have taken place about uh, the beginning of the 2nd century. According to some sources, the Jews of Yemen enjoyed prosperity until the 6th century. The Himarai king, Abu Qarib Asan Taban, converted to Judaism at the end of the 5th century, while laying siege to Medina. In 518, the kingdom was taken over by Zara Yusuf. He too converted to Judaism and prosecuted wars to drive the Akut. Akasumite Ethiopians from Arabia. Zahara Yusuf is, is chiefly known in history by Kongoman Du Nuaz in reference to his curly hair. Jewish rule lasted until 525 CE, some date it later, to 530, when Christians from the Akasumite Kingdom of Ethiopia defeated and killed Du Nuaz and took power in Yemen. There are numerous accounts and traditions on concerning the arrival of Jews in various regions in southern Arabia. One tradition suggests that King Solomon sent Jewish merchants Marines to Yemen to prospect gold and silver, which which adorn his temple in Jerusalem. In 1881, the French vice consulate in Yemen wrote to the leaders of the alliance, Alliance Israelite Universelle in France, that he read a book by the Arab historian Al Abu Al Fada that the Jews of Yemen settled the area in 1451 BCE. Another legend says that Yemenite tribes converted to Judaism after the Queen of Sheba's visit to King Solomon. The Sanite Jews have a tradition that their ancestors settled in Yemen 42 years before the destruction of the first temple. It is said that the prophet Jeremiah, uh, under it is said under that it is said that under the prophet Jeremiah, some 75,000 Jews, including priests and Levites, traveled to Yemen. Another legend states that when Ezra commanded the Jews to return to Jerusalem, they disobeyed, whereupon he pronounced a ban upon them. According to this legend, as a punishment for this hasty action, Ezra was denied burial in Israel. As, as a result of this local tradition, which cannot be validated historically, 
it is, it is said that no Jew of Yemen gives the name of Ezra to a child, although all other biblical appellatives are used. The Yemenite Jews claim that Ezra cursed them to be a poor people for not heeding his call. This seems to have come true in the eyes of some Yemenites, as Yemen is extremely poor. However, some Yemenite sages in Israel today emphatically re reject the story as myth, if, if not outright blasphemy. From 470 to 470 CE, Jews from Yemen, Himar, brought burial to, Zohar, brought to burial in Zohara. Jewish king Yusuf Asar Yathar, also known in the Lamas tradition as Dunawas, lays siege to the city Nadran and takes it. Yemenite was a Jewish kingdom in the 5th century CE that succumbed to Ethiopian and Byzantine insults in 525. Jews remained subject to remained subject to dimmy status, granted special status in return for paying capital tax, throughout the Islamic period and endured persecution in the 19th century. Once 50 to 60,000 strong, some moved to Palestine from 1874 onwards, drawn by economic opportunity ra rather than interest in Zionism. Because of Yemenite Jewry's cultural affiliation with Babylon, historian, historian Yehud Ratzabi opines that the Jews of Yemen migrated to Yemen from places in Babylonia, Archaeological records referring to Jerusalem, Judaism in Yemen started to appear during the rule of the Himyarite Kingdom, established in Yemen in 110 BCE. Various inscriptions in the Musnad script in the 2nd century CE refer to construction of synagogues grouped by the Himyarite kings. According to local legends, the, kingdom, the kingdom's aristocracy converted to Judaism in the 6th century CE. The Christian missionary Theopolis, who came to Yemen in the mid-4th century, complained that he had found a great number of Jews. By 380 CE, Himyarites' religious practices had undergone fundamental changes. The inscriptions were no longer addressed to El Makkah or Atar, but to a single deity called Brahman. Debate among scholars continues as to whether the Himyarite monotheism was influenced by Ju Judaism or Christianity. Jews became especially numerous and powerful in the southern part of Arabia, a rich and fertile land of incense and spices, and a way station on the routes to Africa, India, and East Asia. The Ye Yemeni tribes did not oppose Jewish prayer in their country. By 516, tribal unrest broke out, and several tribal elites fought for power. One of those elites was Joseph du Nawaz, or Yusuf Asar Yatar, as mentioned in ancient South Arabian inscriptions. The actual story of Joseph is murky. Greek and Ethiopian accounts portray him as a Jewish zealot. Some scholars suggest that he was a converted Jew. Historian accounts complain that Claim that his mother was a Jew, take, taken captive from Nisbis and brought by a king in Yemen, whose ancestors had formerly converted to Judaism. Syriac and Byzantine sources mean that Yusuf Asar sought to convert other other Yemeni Christians, but they refused to renounce Christianity. That this the actual picture, however, reigns unclear. There are also several historical works which suggest that a Jewish kingdom existed in Yemen during pre-Islamic late antiquity. In Yemen, several inscriptions dating back to the 4th and 5th century CE have been found in Hebrew and Sabian praising the ruling house in Jewish terms for helping and empowering the people of Israel. In Bayt al-Hadir, a village 15 kilometers or 9.3 miles east of Sana'a, German specialist in Semitic attack Ebifri, Walter W. Muller, discovered in the village mosque an important Judeo-Himerite inscription showing a partial list of 24 priestly wards described in uh, El Chronicles 24, which said, 1 Chronicles 24, which said inscription happened to be engraved upon, upon a column believed to have formerly belonged to a synagogue. Yet even here, the part of the inscription was embedded in the group belonging to a mosque. The inscription is believed to date back to the 4th century CE and attests the antiquity of the Jews in that area. To that same period belongs another bilingual Siberian Hebrew inscription, which Orientalist Giovanni Garbini of Naples discovered in 1970. The inscription is found on a column in Bayt as Awar near Safar, the forest, uh, which is about uh, 17 
kilometers from the town of Yerim, and shows, interposed on early writings, the words, the writing of Judah, of blessed memory, Amen Shalom, Amen, engraved in the antiquated Assyrian Hebrew script between larger sculpted Sabian script. The inscription is thought to date back to the early, to either the 4th or 5th century CE. There are no documents or other reliable sources about the beginning of Jewish existence in Yemen. The traditions of the Jews of Yemen themselves relate that a large group of Jews left Jerusalem. The traditions of the Jews of Yemen themselves relate that a large group of Jews left Jerusalem some years before the destruction of the first temple, following the prophecies of Jeremiah. They first came to some localities in Yemen called Rishgalut, such as Saana, Tamim, Tanim, and Da'amar. According to the tradition, the Jews of Yemen rejected the call of Ezra to return to the Holy Land since they anticipated that the Seventh Temple would be destroyed as well. This tradition may be, may be supported by the pronunciation of Hebrew, which fits that of Judea, like that of, of the medieval Jews of Babylonia, and differs from the Galilee and Tiberian pronunciation maintained by all other Jewish communities, and the counting of the ninth of the years from the ninth of Av since the destruction of the first temple, a unique custom not existing in any other Jewish community. However, the first certain evidence of Jewish life in Yemen is the tombs of the Himari Jews in Beth Sha'arim, dated back to the beginning of the third century CE, which means that at least a sec that which means that at least in the second half of the 2nd century CE, there were already Jewish settlements in Yemen. One may conclude then that Jews left Judea southward and after the destruction of the second temple, and eventually arrived in Yemen to build their new Jewish life, their new life. Judaism in pre-Islamic Yemen gained more, and more, gained more and more power and influence. The crucial step was in early 380, when the Hamari king Aku, Abu Karib adopted Judaism as the former, formal, formal religion of the kingdom. Polytheism was re completely rejected for 150 years. Uh, polytheism was completely rejected, and for 150 years, all inscriptions, almost all, the almost ultimate source for pre-Islamic history, were monotheist or Jewish. During that time, a bitter struggle between developed between Judaism and Christianity in Yemen, culminating with the Yusuf Dunawas, uh, which is anywhere from 520, 522 to 525 or 530 AD. But when the foreign for army was uh, Aksum, the Christian power in Ethiopia intervened and invaded the country as a response to the punitive expedition of Yusuf against rebellious Christians in Jiran. The Jewish regime of Himar came to its end and the Jews lost their strong standing in the country. From earlier Muslim sources, however, we learned that Judaism spread out among many Arab tribes, especially in Hajamat. The next big step in the degradation of Judaism and the Jews in Yemen took place in 629, when the country was taken by the victorious army of Muhammad. Suddenly, the Jews became demons, namely second-degree subjects protected by the government in return for paying a special tax, only for a males, the jizya. It seems that only a few Jews of Yemen converted to Islam, although there is not the slightest information in terms of numbers. However, early Muslim sources are quite inform informative about Yemeni Jews, or about those Jewish scholars who converted to Islam and enriched it with endless Jewish traditions and sources, frequently lost in genuine Jewish sources. To name... To name just a few, we may mention Kab al Abar, Ab Ab Allah ibn Salam, Ab Allah ibn Sava, and Wab ibn Munabid. Sorry for my Arabic pronunciation. I do not speak Arabic whatsoever. So yeah, sorry for that. Uh, the Jews of Yemen trace their origins back to biblical times, and, their, and the first recorded reference to Yemenite Jews appears in the third century C.E. The community probably arose from those from the settlement of Jewish traders and merchants from the arrival of Jewish forces with the Roman troops just before the Common Era. Islam came to the Yemen around 630, during the Prophet Muhammad's lifetime. As Al-Kitab, 
the prote protected peoples protected peoples of the scriptures, the Jews were assured freedom of religion only in exchange for the jizya, a payment of poll tax imposed on all non-Muslims. Active Muslim persecution of the Jews did not gain full force until the Shiite Zaidi clan seized power from the more tolerant Sunni Muslims in the early 10th century. We all know nothing about the Jews in Yemen during the Uyamad and first Abbasid periods up until the end of the 9th century, when the Zaidi in, in uh, Imamite was established in northern Yemen in 897 by y Ya al Hadi Ila al Haq, from a rare document preserved in his Shira biography. We know that basically he did not adopt discriminatory and humiliating regulations against the Jews, but forbade Jews to build synagogues and hold Muslim slaves. It is notable that he did not prevent Jews from owning lands and even confirmed the right to buy new lands from Muslims. The Jews of Yemen had expertise in a wide range of trades, normally avoided by, normally avoided by, the, by Zaidi Muslims. Trades such as silversmithing, blacksmith, repairing weapons and tools, weaving, poetry, masonry, carpentry, shoemaking, and tailoring were occupations that were exclusively taken by Jews. The division of labor created a sort of covenant based on mutual economic and social dependency between Zaidi Muslim between the Zaidi Muslim population and the Jews of Yemen. The Muslims produced and supplied food, and the Jews supplied all manufactured products and services that the Yemen and the Jews supplied all manufactured products and services that the Yemeni farmers needed. As Al-Khattab, literally the people of the scriptures, the Jews were assured from freedom of religion, only exchanged for a payment of poll tax, which is a jizya, imposed on certain non-Muslim monotheists, people of the book. The feudal overlords imposed the annual poll tax upon Jews, which under Islamic law was to ensure their status for, as protected persons of the state. This tax, tribute, was assessed against every male 13 years and older, and its remittance varied between the wealthy and the poor. In the early 20th century, this amounted to one Maria Theresa Thiala real for a poor man, two of the same coin in specie for the middle classes, and four more thialas for the rich. Upon payment, Jews were also exempt from paying the zakat, which must be paid by Muslims once the residual wealth reaches a certain threshold. Above, active persecution of Jews did not gain full force until the Zaidi clan seized power from, more, from the more tolerant Sunni Muslims in the early 10th century. The legal status of Jews in Yemen started to deteriorate around the time of the Tahrids, around the time Tahrids took Sana from the Yazidis, mainly because of new discriminations established by the Muslim rulers. Such laws weren't included in Zaidi legal writing till comparatively till comparatively late with Kitab al-Azhar of Imam al-Murtara in the first half of the 15th century. This also led to the deterioration of the economic and social situation of the Jews. The, Jews, the Jewish intellectuals wrote in both Hebrew and Arabic and engaged in the same literary endeavors as in the Muslim majority. Per a late 19th century document, the first Zaidi Imam al-Hadi had imposed limitations on a special tax on a special tax on land held by Jews and Christians of Najran. In the mid-11th century, Jews from a number of communities in Yemen's highlands, including Sa'ana, appeared to have been attracted to the Salehid's capital of Dujibla. The city was founded by Abdullah bin Muhammad al-Sulahi in mid-11th uh, century, and according to Tariq al-Yaman of the famed Yemeni author Omar al-Yamani, who lived from 1121 to 1174, was named after a Jewish pottery merchant. During the 12th century, Aden was first ruled by the by Fatimids and then Abuyids. The city formed the Great Emporium on the sea route to India. Documents of the Karaganids pertaining to Aden re reflect a thriving Jewish community led by the prominent Bandar family. Abu, Abu Ali Hassan ibn Budar 
served as the head of the Jewish communities in Yemen, as well as a representative of the merchants in Aden. His son, son Mahmoud, was a central figure in, the, in Yemeni Jewry during the, flourishing, during the, during the flourishing of trade with India. The Bundar family produced some celebrated Negadim who exerted authority, authorities over Jews of Yemen as well as Jewish merchants in India and Ceylon. The Jewish community, or, or uh, Ceylon is um, Sri Lanka, the community developed communal and spiritual connection in addition to business and family tied with other Jewish communities in the Islamic world. They also developed ties and with, with and funded Jewish centers and academies of Babylon, Palestine, and Egypt. Due to the, tr due to tr due to the trade, Jews also immigrated to Aden due to mercantile and personal con considerations. Yemenite Jews also experienced violent persecution at times. In the late 1160s, the Yemenite ruler Abd al-Nabdi ibn Mahdi left Jews with the choice between conversion to Islam or, or martyrdom. Mahdi also imposes beliefs upon the Muslims besides the Jews. This led to a revival of Jewish messianism, but also led to mass conversion. While a popular local Yemenite Jew preacher called, to, called Jews to Jewish martyrdom, Maimonides sent what is known by the name Igeritaman, Apostle to Yemen, requesting that they remain faithful to the religion, but if at all possible, not to cast affronts before their antagonists. The persecution ended in 1173 with the defeat of Ibn Mahdi and the conquest of Yemen by the brother of Saladin, and they were allowed to return to their faith. According to the two Ganesha documents, the Abuyid rule of Yemen, Al-Malik Al-Muz Al-Ismail, who reigned from 1197 to 1202, had attempted to force the Jews of Aden to convert. The second document re retells the, details the relief of the Jewish, of Jewish community after his murder and those who have who had been forced to convert reverted to Judaism. Judaism. Again, for more than 250 years, Jewish and Arab sources are almost completely silent regarding Yemeni Jews. From, but from the scarce information we, ha we have, it is clear that the Jews of Yemen maintain close relations with the Ga'onim and the Babylonian Jewish centers. Ga'onim is like very like rabbis and stuff. However, as a result of the growing importance of Yemen, and especially of its southern seaport in Aden and international commerce from the Mediterranean basin to India, the Jewish community of Yemen arises from oblivion, particularly in the documents of the Karaganiza during the 11th, 12th, and 13th centuries. Yemen and its Jewish communities were like a suburb of Egypt and its large G Jewish Egyptian community. Yemenite Jewry of that time was an integral part of the Jewish world in the vast Muslim area from the shores of the Atlantic to India in the 12th and 13th centuries, in the course of which Yemen constituted an important part of the Abuyid dynasty in Egypt, and had special community and relig religious relations with Maimonides and his son Abraham, both, them, uh, both of them heads of the Jewish community in Egypt and close to the government. These special relations were first shaped when Maimonides acted on their behalf in the Abuyid court in Cairo and sent them, to, sent them his famo uh, famous estepole to Yemen in 1172, and to lead them away from their belief in the false messiah who appeared at the time in Yemen to comfort them. Generally, the Boya period, 1172 to 1254, was quite happy for the Jews, except for a short time when Muz al-Din Ismail from 1196 to 1201 forced them to convert to Islam, a tragic episode ending with their sudden death. The average Jewish population in Yemen for the first, first five centuries is said to have been about 300, um, 3,000. The Jews were scattered throughout the country, but carried on an extensive commerce and thus succeeded in getting in possession of many Jewish books. When Saladin became sultan in the last quarter of the 12th century and the Shiite Muslims revolted against him, the, trial of the, the trials of the Yemenite Jews, Jews began. There were few scholars among them at the time, and a putative prophet arose. He preached a syncretic religion that combined Judaism and Islam and claimed that the Bible foretold his coming. 
of one of Yemen's most respected Jewish scholars, Jacob ben Nathaniel Al-Fuyumi, wrote for counsel to, re to renounce Sephardic Jewish theology until philosopher and physician from Spain, resident in Egypt, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, better known as Maimonides. Maimonides replied in an epistle entitled Igret Taman, the Yemen Epistle. This letter made a tremendous impression on Yemenite Jewry. It also served as a source of strength, consolation, and support for the for the faith in the continuing persecution, Maimonides himself interceded with Saladin in Egypt, and shortly thereafter the persecution came to an end. The rule of Shafi'i's Rasulids, which lasted from 1229 to 1474, brought stability to the region. During this period, the Jews enjoyed social and economic prosperity. This changed with the rise of the Tahrir dynasty that ruled until the conquest of the Ottoman Empire of Yemen in 1517. A note written in a Jewish manuscript mentions the destruction of the old synagogue in Sa'ana in 1457. Under the rule of the dynasty's founders of Ahmed Amir, an important note of the treatment of Jews by the Tahririds found on Kowaflon of a Jewish merchant from Yemen in 1505 when the last Tahrid Sultan took Sa'ana from the Zaidis. The document describes one kingdom as an explo exploitive and the other as repressive. The transition of the government in Yemen from the Abuya to the Rasauli dynasty from 1254 to 1454 did not radically change the political and economic condition of the Jews. Despite the sparse details in Muslim sources about some Jews who were converted to Islam, there is a good likelihood that in general, the Jews live calmly and securely. They can maintain their close Egyptian relations with Egyptian Jewry under the rule of the Mamluks uh, excel in their literal uh, rule. Mamluks excel in their literary production, which was the richest and most diverse in their history. Matters changed with the rise of Banu Zahir in 1454, particularly as a result of another Jewish false messiah who attracted many Jews as well as Muslim followers. Not only was a rebellious messiah killed, but Jews were no longer allowed to dwell in the vast area Hadramat, claimed by the fanatic Muslims to be the land of the pre-Islamic prophet Hud. This, was a, this ban was only the first of an, in an unceasing trend to limit the boundaries of Jewish settlement in Yemen. No wonder then that the Jews of Yemen looked with hope to Portuguese activities on the seacoast of, south, of southern Yemen during the first decade of the 15th century, and some of them even helped as spies. Shortly after that, the Zaidi Imams, who for several centuries had been pushed to their strongholds in the north, gained power and took control of larger territories in the central plateau, where large Jewish communities lived. It should be noted that the Zaidi attitude towards Jews had been greatly altered during the 15th century under the impact of the writings of Hannibal scholars, who, who, who becoming less tolerant as attested in legal books of Zaidi scholars, but then came the Ottoman Turks, who pushed back the who pushed the Zaidis back to the north after gaining control of the central plateau, including Sa'ana. Sa'ana, in spite of the formal improvement of living conditions of the Jews under the Turks, as new strict regulations against them were abrogated, they suffered severely from the unceasing war between Ottoman armies and Zaidi rebels. This situation came to a head in late 1620 when Fadi Pasha, the Turkish governor in the southern lowlands, arrested the leaders of the Jews, trying to win the sympathies of local Muslims. Nevertheless, the Jews were accused by Muslim Yemenis of being collaborators of the Turks. When eventually the Yemenis, led by the Qasimis, the new dynasty of Imam, succeeded in driving the Turks out of the country in 1636, the Jews were submitted to new, to new anti-Jewish Zaidi regulations. Under Zaidi rule, the Jews were considered to be impure 
and therefore forbidden to touch a Muslim or a Muslim's food. They are obligated to humble themselves before a Muslim to walk to the left side and greet him first. They cannot build houses higher than a Muslim's or ride a camel or horse, and when riding a mule or a donkey, they had to sit sideways. Upon entering the, Muslims, the Muslim quarter, a Jew had to take off his footgear and walk barefoot. If attacked with stones or fists by youth, a Jew was not allowed to fight them. In such situations, he had the option of fleeing or seeking intervention by a merciful Muslim passerby. Ottoman rule ended in 1630, when Zaidis took over Yemen. Jews were once again persecuted. In 1679, under the rule of al-Mahdi Ahmad, Jews were expelled en masse from all parts of Yemen to the distant province of Maza. And many Jews died there of starvation and disease as a consequence. As many as two-thirds of the expelled Jews did not survive. Their houses and property were seized, and many synagogues were destroyed or converted into mosques. This event was later known as the Maza exile, and it recalled, and it is recalled in many writings of the Yemenite Jewish rabbi and poet Shalom Shabazi, who experienced it himself. About a year after the expulsion, the survivors were allowed to turn, return for economic reasons. Jews were the majority of craftsmen and artisans, and thus a vital asset in the country's economy. However, they were not allowed to return to their former homes, and found that most of their religious articles had been destroyed. They were instead resettled in Jewish, special Jewish quarters outside of the cities. The Jewish community, communities experienced a messianic episode with the, with the rise of another messiah and claimant in the Bahan district. Mentioned by Hayim bin Yehuda Habhush in The History of the Jews in Yemen, written in 1893, and the Bakfaka al-Shahiri Chronicles, written in the 16th century. The Messiah was acknowledged as a political figure and gathered many people around him into what seemed to be an organized military force. Tahrir Sultan Amir ibn Ad Abd al-Wa'ab attacked the Messiah, killing many Jews and crushing the movement. He saw it as a violation of the protection agreement and liquidated the Jewish settlement in Hajimut as a collective punishment. Presumably, some of them were killed. Many converted to Islam or migrated to Aden and, and the adjacent mainland of Yemen. It seems, however, the liquidation was immediate. Jews of the place are recorded by 1527 and not by 1660s. After the 15th century, Jewish communities only existed in Hajimut's western periphery. The oppression at hand of pious Muslim rulers and endangerment of the community because of the plots of, of a few Jewish messianists are common themes in the history of Yemenite Jews. The Ottoman conquest allowed Yemenite Jews a chance to have contact with, with other Jewish communities. Contact was established with the capitalists in Safed, a major Jewish center, as well as with Jewish communities throughout the Ottoman Empire. It was just a question of timing for the fanatically religious Imam al-Mutawakil Ismail, who lived from 1444 to 1476, as to when to bring, as when to act to bring about the total annihilation of Jewish existence in Yemen, a question regularly discussed in Zaidi legal writings since the middle of the 16th century. This occurred in 1677, when the wake of Messianic expectations of Sabbatinism throughout Yemen, as well as all over the Jewish world, when a group of Sa'ani Jews, led by Sleiman Jamal, one of their scholars, asked the governor of Sa'ana to hand the government over to him. The reaction of Imam Ismail was quick and harsh. He illegally abrogated the status of Jews as protected minority and, and applied to scholars of both Zaidi and Shafi'i schools regarding the question of whether Yemen is like the Hijaz, where non-Muslims are not allowed to dwell. After years of hesitation, he adopted the ruling of these scholars, who believed that Yemen is a, was a part of Hijaz, and on his deathbed he instructed his heir, Imam al-Mumadhi Ahmad, who, lived from 14, um, who ruled from 1676 to 1681 to carry out this ruling. The immediate me meaning was unequivocal. The Jews could no longer no. The Jews could no longer live as Jews in Yemen. They had to choose between Islam and death. 
The new imam chose a, chose a third alternative, to expel the Jews from Yemen. But eventually, for logistic reasons, they were, they were expelled to Ma Maza, a small town in the west of the country, not far from the seaport of Mocha, Mocha, where living conditions were almost unbearable. The Jewish community recovered partly because of Imam Muhammad al-Mahdi, also called Sahib al-Mawahib, who protected them and allowed them to return to their previous state. He rejected the pleas for Jewish deportation by the clerics and maintained ties with Jewish Iraqi family, which was charged with the Min House. From the end of the 17th century, the Jews ran the Min Houses of the Imams. In 1725, Imam al ordered the closure of synagogues ordered the closure of synagogues because of the Jews selling wine to Muslims. However, the closure was directed by a re religious legal ruling that these synagogues were permitted by his predecessors. The Jews of Yemen had expertise in a wide range of trades, normally avoided by Azadi Muslims. Trades such as silversmithing, silversmithing, blacksmiths, repairing weapons and tools, weaving, pottery, masonry, carpentry, shoe making, and tailoring were occupants were occupations that were exclusively taken by Jews. The division of labor created a sort of covenant based on mutual economic and social dependency between Zaidi Muslims and the Jews of Yemen. The Muslims produced and supplied food, and Jews supplied and, and the Jews supplied all manufactured products and service and services that the Yemeni farmers needed. The Jewish community, heavened by Shalom Iraqi, Shalom Iraqi, recovered from this affair and the position of Iraqi, shaitan under Imam al Mansur. The Jewish community flourished under him because of the part because the part it played in trade with with India through Mocha. The German researcher Karsten Nierber, who visited in 17, 1763, reports that two years before he arrived, Shalom Iraqi had been imprisoned and fined while while 12 out of 14 synagogues in a village near Sa'ana were shut down. Iraqi was released two weeks before his arrival. Jewish forces attributed this to a regime change. The Imam al-Mahdi Abbas was extremely religious and his ideological affinity with the clerics created an atmosphere of extreme repression. He, however, resisted their pr pressure on him to expel Jews. The synagogues were reopened by Ali al-Masur after payment of a heavy fee. About after about a year and a half, the Jews were allowed to return to the towns and villages, although not to the same quarters and houses, all of which had been confiscated by the government. They had to build new houses in new neighborhoods, outside the wall in walled cities. For more than two generations, the social, economic, and spiritual situation of the Jews were quite bad. It was only late 1720, other, under the community leadership of Shalom Iraqi, who served three imams as a collector of taxes and responsible for the mint house, that the Jews re rehabilitated their life particularly economically, as the Jews took part in the new commerce with British India. But, it was that, but, it was, but that was only for a short time, only, o owing to the jealousy of Muslims over gr the growing wealth of the Jews. In 1672, Iraqi was thrown into prison, where he was more than eight, when, when he was more than 80 years old. His wealth and his property were confiscated, and all the synagogues in Sa'ana were closed for 30 years. It was then the spiritual leadership, headed by Rabbi Yihye in who died in 1805, held the reins of the Jewish community and rescued it from moral and uh, communal decline. But this could not help politically and economically, uh, could not help the politically and economically deteriorating status of the Jews, a trend which continued and even worsened during the 19th century, up to 1872, when Yemen was conquered by the Turks. During the 18th century, Yemenite Jews gained a brief respite from their status as second-class citizens when the Im Imamics came to power. Yemen experienced a huge experienced a resurgence of Jewish life. Synagogues were rebuilt and some Jews achieved high office. One of them was Rabbi Shalom ben Aron, 
who, came, who became responsible for minting and for the royal coffers. When the Ammonics lost power in the 19th century, Jews were again subjected to persecution. In 1872, the Ottoman Empire again took over. The Ottoman rule would last until Yemeni independence in 1918. Jewish life improved during Ottoman rule. Jewish freedom of religion was more widely respected, and Yemenite Jews were permitted to having more contact with other Jewish communities. The, the, the Zaydi enforced a statute known as the Orphan's Decree, anchored in their own 18th century legal interpretations and enforced at the end of that century. If obligated that the Zaydi state to take, to take under its protection and educate in Islamic ways an idim, i.e. non-Muslim, child whose parents had died or when he or she was a minor. The Orphan's Decree was ignored during the Ottoman rule, which was from 1872 to 1918, what was renewed during the period of Imam Yahya, which was from 1918 to 1948. At the beginning of the 19th century, the condition of the Jews of Yemen was miserable. They were under the jurisdiction of the, lo of the local Muslim imam, and they were forbidden to wear new, good, new or good clothes, nor might they ride on donkey or mule. They were compelled to make long journeys on foot when occasion required. They were prohibited from engaging in monetary transactions and, all, and were all craftsmen, and being employed chiefly as carpenters, masons, and smiths. At the beginning of the 19th century, they are said to, be, they are said to number 30,000 and to have been lived participantly in Aden with a population of 200, sa, not Sana'a, but Sana'a, with a population of 10,000, Sada, 1,000, Damar, 1,000, and the desert of Beda, which 2000. The chief occupations of the Yemenite Jews were artisans, including gold, silver, and blacksmiths in the Sa'ana area, and coffee merchants in the South Central Highland area. areas. For many years after the British had taken over Aden uh, in 1839 and the Turks invaded Yemen in 1849, uh, the Jews of Yemen looked forward to the total occupation of the country by a Western power and tried hard to involve other Jewish communities, especially in England, on their behalf. This could be attained only after the Turks had entered Sa'ana in 1872. Uh, in principle, the new rulers cancelled the traditional Muslim anti-Jewish regulations in according with Ottoman policy in the entire empire. Indeed, the situation of the Jews improved during the Turkish occupation and their ties with, with co-religionists in Europe were strengthened, especially with Jewish settlements to, in the Holy Land to which the Jews of Yemen started to immigrate uh, in mass beginning in 1882. Emigration from Yemen to Palestine began in 1881 and continued almost without interruption until 1914. It was during this time that about 10% of the, of the Yemenite Jews who lived in Yemen left. Towards the end of the 19th century, new ideas began to reach Yemenite Jews from abroad. Hebrew newspapers began to arrive and relations developed with Sephardic Jews who came to Yemen from, from various Ottoman provinces to trade with the army and government officials. An intense longing for the Mashiach and a return to the land of Israel and to Jerusalem was kept alive through countless centuries of exile in Yemen, with the end of the First World War. A sudden desire for mass emigration to the Holy Land arose. Some Yemenite Jews had already begun to emigrate into the land from 1882 on, and they arrived and they informed their brethren by a steady flow of letters of the situation there. Emigration from Yemen to the area now known as Israel began in 18. 81, and continued almost without interruption until 1914. It was during this time that about 10% of the Yemenite Jews left. Due to the changes in the Ottoman Empire, citizens could move freely, and in 1869, travels were improved with the opening of the Suez Canal, which reduced travel time from Yemen to Palestine. Certainly, uh, certain, certain Yemenite Jews interpreted these changes and the new developments in the Holy Land as heavenly signs that the time of redemption was near. By settling in the Holy Land, they would play a part in what they believed could participate uh, in the anticipated messianic area, era. 
1881 to 1882, some 30 Jewish families left Sana'a and several nearby settlements and made a long trek by foot and by sea to Jerusalem, where most had settled in Silwan. This wave was followed by other Jews from central Yemen, who continued to move into Palestine until 1914. The majority of these groups would later move into Jerusalem proper and Jaffa. Rabbi Abraham al-Nadaf, who immigrated to Jerusalem in 1891, described in his autobiography the hardships that the Yemenite Jewish community faced in their new country, where there are no hostilities to accommodate wayfarers and new immigrants. On the other hand, he wrote that the Sephardi Kolelim seminaries had taken under the auspices the Yemenite Jews from the moment they had settled in Jerusalem. Later, however, the Yemenites would come to feel discriminated by the, against by the Sephardi community, who compelled them to no longer make use of their own pliable matzah, but to buy from them only the hard cracker-like matzah made weeks advance prior to Passover. He also mentions that the Yemenite community would pay their prescribed tax to the public coffers, yet they were not allotted an equal share or subsidy as had been given as had been given to the Sephardic Jews. By 1910, Yemenites had broken away from the Sephardic seminary. Throughout their history, the Jews of Yemen had ties with the, Jew, with the Jewish settlement in, land, in the land of Israel. From the Geniza documents and Azari's Tekamoni, we learned that about the Yemenite community in Eretz Israel. Many years later, Rab, Rabbi Abadia Benatora reports on the Jews of the land of Aden, namely Yemen, who, who emigrated to the land of Israel, probably in the middle of the 15th century. Since then, we have little evidence about individual, individuals or solitary families from Yemen making Aliyah. It was only in 1881 that the flows of, Yemen, flows of Jews left Yemen for the land of Israel in, in the consequence of three, three factors. Uh, number one, encouraging information about the living conditions there and the rumors about the land distributed to any Jew who came on Aliyah. Uh, two, the improvement in sailing conditions from Yemen to the land of Israel than both provinces of the Ottoman Empire. And three, and finally, three, the disappointment with the Turkish government in Yemen. The first immigrants came to Jerusalem in August 1881 to establish a separate community there. In contrast to previous immigrants from Yemen, they blended with the Sephardi community. Many others from Yemen joined this community, and most of them from Sana'a, and, and settled uh, in the old city of Jerusalem from 1885, in new neighborhoods built specific, specially for them outside the walls, like Kifar Hashalia. Meshkanot and Dahal Zavi. In 1908, Yemenite Jews in Jerusalem numbered more than 2,500, constituting an independent community after attaining a ferment in the Ottoman government. Some of, them, some of the immigrants settled in Jaffa and there established a smaller community of 350 in 1903. In 1908, village Jews from, uh, of North Yemen started to immigrate and settle in young Hebrew Mashavot, like Rehovot. Like them, thousands of immigrants who came from the south of Yemen, Sha'ab, um, uh, of what means uh, like a transit camp. Um, like them, thousands of immigrants who came from the south of Yemen, Sha'ab, following the missions of Shemuel Yavne'eli, settled in the, most of the Masha'avot in, Jude in Judea and the Galilee, numbering about half of the total population and making their living from agriculture, either hired as laborers or independent farmers. And at the end of World War I, there, there were 4,500 Yemenite Jews in the country. The flow of immigrants from all over Yemen was renewed after World War I, this time uh, more to the urban centers of Jaffa, Tel Aviv, and the new Hebrew towns, as small businessmen, laborers, and retailers. Between the two world wars, there were more than 15,000 left Yemen illegally for the land of Israel through Aden, where they obtained immigration certificates from the British mandatory government. By the outbreak of World War II, there were about 28,000 Yemenite Jews in the land of Israel.
1901, a young German Jew named Hermann Butchart, who just turned 30, decided to leave the family business and set off on a journey around the world that incorporated two, year, two of his greatest passions, photography and the study of ancient and exotic peoples. Hermann Butchart decided to use substantial inheritance to rent an apartment in Damascus, which would serve as a base for his research expeditions and adventures. He already studied Arabic and Turkish, which he hoped to use to his advantage. Butchart's 1901 journey constituted the first documentation of the ancient Jewish communities for Western audiences. Even before he set, on, out, set off on his travels, Butchart saw himself as a citizen of the world, a man without limits, able to reach places no European has ever, ever set foot before. One of his journeys in 1901, he encountered such a place. In the middle of the harsh and barren desert, he reached the Yemenite city of Sana'a. On his wanderings around the hilly capital city, he was stunned by a group of people he encountered, members of the Sa'ana Jewish community, whose ties to other Jewish communities worldwide had been almost completely severed for generations. Together with his large entourage, Butchart spent nearly a year with the community. He got to know them personally, to study the documents and their to study and document their customs, listen to the unique life stories, transcribing almost every word in his diary, and, and for the first time in history, he, he photographed them. The article he published in the journal Ost und West included the spectacularly beautiful first ever photographs of the Yemenite Jewish community. The images were nothing of a revelation. The images were nothing short of a revelation for European Jewry. After a break of thousands of years, there was, a, there was at last a tangible sign of the existence of the Yemenite Jewish community. It seemed that as if the that it seemed as if the world's most authentic Jew, who had lived in complete, who who had lived completely isolated from any foreign influence, had finally been found. At least this is what they believed in Europe. The article so excited the journal's readership that the, photo, the, the photographs were turned into postcards, which were sold and circulated by the thousands. Popular curiosity was so aroused that Bouchard's photographs were printed up into postcards. His reputation, however, was ultimately his undoing. In 1909, while escorting the Italian consul from the capital of Sana'a on an unfamiliar route, Bouchard and the entire convoy were ambushed and killed by desert thieves. Before World War I, there was another wave that began in 1906 and continued until 1914. Hundreds of Yemenite Jews made their way to the Holy Land and chose to settle in the agricultural settlements. It was after these movements that the World Zionist Organization sent Shmuel Yavneeli to Yemen to encourage Jews to emigrate to Palestine. Yavneeli reached Yemen at the beginning of 1911 and returned in April 1912. Due to Yavneeli's efforts, about 1,000 Jews left central and southern Yemen, with 700 more arriving before 1914. The purpose of the immigration was considered by the Zionist office as allowing the import importation of cheap labor. This wave of Yemenite Jewry underwent extreme suffering, physically and mentally, and those who arrived between 1912 and 1918 had a very high indice of premature mortality, ranging from 30 and 40 percent generally, and in some townships, reaching as high as 50 percent. These two trends opened a completely new period in the history of Jews of Yemen, during which immigration to the Holy Land was a main political and social factor with a decisive impact upon all aspects of life. Another major factor was the centralist and ultra-orthodox regime of Imam Yahya, who from, who, from 1904-1948, who led the rebellion against the Turks after his father's death in 1904. He, rest, he wrested a significant authority from the Turks in 1911 regarding internal religious issues, Jews included and eventually obtained the entire governing authority in 1918 after the Turks had evacuated his country. Yahya strictly implemented the traditional Zaidi policy regarding the Jews, including two harsh edicts. Uh, a. The Orphan's Edict, according to which every Jewish orphan was to be taken by the government from his family and raised as a Muslim. And B. The Latrine Decree, according to which the Jews had to clean the streets and public baths and lavatories in order to humiliate him. That, that's really 
horrible. As an expression of identification and sympathy with Arabs and their conflict with the conflict with Jews in the Holy Land, he published a regulation prohibiting Jews from leaving Yemen for that country. But on the other hand, he followed a very firm policy of protecting the Jews and severely punished any Muslim, either a regular citizen or a government officer, who harmed them. Alright, that's pretty good. However, what had a greater effect on the worsening conditions of life of the Jews during Yahya's reign was his general despotic and conduct towards the subjects, Muslims as well as Jews. To gain maximum control over his subjects and to prevent any possibility of revolt against him, Yahya imposed extremely high taxes on the Muslims, particularly the peasants, and set up many factories and companies to deprive Jews of their main source of income, the crafts, which were the primary occupation they were allowed to practice. The Jewish community helped the, the Jewish community grew poorer and poorer, and instead of financial help sent by the Jews of Yemen to the new, to the new Yemenite communities in the Holy Land during the, Ottoman, during the Ottoman occupation, the Yemenite Jews in the Holy Land collected money and sent it to their brethren in Yemen. Understandably, many Jews tried, to, tried hard to escape Yemen and immigrate to the Holy Land, despite the prohibition of, of the imam. Thus, almost more than a third of the Yemenite Jews settled in the Holy Land prior to the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948. Thus, the Jewish community of Yemen experienced much turmoil during the uh, years of 1900 to 1951. In the, in the beginning of the 20th century, Yemen was severely affected by famine caused by three years of drought from 1903 to 1905, and many Jews died or left in order to find food. The circumstances were particularly terrible in Sa'ana, which was besieged by the rebellious army of Yah, 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 where more than half, according to one almost one, according to one estimate, almost ninety percent lost their lives. This event, remembered by the Jews of Yemen as Hazwat on the fire, the siege would, uh, during which a handful of wheat was sold for one real, triggered the internal immigration of Jews. A phenomenon strengthened by the time, by the time of Iman Yahya, because of the worsening economic conditions, and the immigration to the Holy Land or to British Sudan, where Jews have lived where Jews lived in improved condition. In consequence of this turmoil, the traditional social structure of Jewish communities in Yemen was weakened and the negative results could be effect felt in different aspects of life. Another factor which shook the communal structure in Sa'ana and the vicinity was the scandalous controversy over, over the Kabbalah. Influenced by the Enlightenment movement of Jewish Europe, Haskalah, either by scholars visiting Yemen such as Joseph Halevi or Edward Glazer, Edward Glazer, or by publications that reached Yemen, some relatively young Sa'ani Jews, headed by Rabbi Yehieh, established a kind of reform group, completely negating the Kabbalah or any mystical element in Judaism. This controversy was resulted in rich literary productions, uh, productions, but on the social level, it was highly destructive, as the community of Sa'ana was split in 1910 because into two hostile factions, avoiding intermarriage or eating the meat slaughtered by the other side. This controversy was the main social issue in the Sa'ani community up to its total immigration in 1949 to 1951. It was transferred to the Holy Land, where it still exists in the 21st century. In 1922, the government of Yemen reintroduced an ancient Islamic law that required that Jewish orphans under the age of 12 be forcibly converted to Islam. In 1922, the government of Yemen, under Yaha Muhammad Hamid al-Din, reintroduced an ancient law, an Islamic law entitled the Orphan Decree. This, the law dictated that if Jewish boys or girls under the age of 12 were orphaned, they were forcibly converted to Islam. Their connections to their families and communities were to be severed, and they had to be handed over to Muslim foster families. The rule was based on the law that the Prophet Muhammad is the father of the orphans, and, uh, and on the fact that the Jews in Yemen were considered under protection, and the ruler was obligated to care for them. The Jews tried to prevent the conversion of orphans in two main ways which were by marrying them so the authorities would consider them as adults, or by smuggling them out of the country. A prominent example 
as Abdul Rahman al-Irani, the former president of the Yemen Arab Republic, who was allegedly to be of Jewish descent by, Dor by Dorit Mizrahi, a writer in an Israeli ultra-Orthodox weekly, Mishpacha, who claimed that he, he was her maternal uncle. According to a recollection of events, he was born in Sakharia Haddad in 1910 to a Yemeni Jewish family in Ib. He lost... He lost his parents in a major disease epidemic at the age of eight, and together with his five-year-old sister, he was forcibly, forcibly concerned, con converted to Islam, and they were put under care of a separate foster family. A separate foster family. He was raised in the powerful Al-Irani fam Al family and adopted an Islamic name. Al-Irani would later serve as a minister of religious endowments under northern Yemen's first national government and became the only civilian to have led northern Yemen. In early 1920, the Zionist movement in the land of Israel started to act in Aden and later in Yemen. In order to encourage and help Jews to emigrate, but in order to help encourage Jews to emigrate, by but owning the but owning to the but owing to the hostile attitude of Imam Yahya to Zionism, nothing could be done. It was only in the mid nineteen forties that the Imam eased this policy, responding to the grave economic situation of his Jewish subjects. Emissaries of the Zionist institution emissaries of the Zionist institutions in the land of Israel acted in Yemen on the eve of the establishment of the state of Israel. Thousands wandered on the routes of, from all over Yemen to Aden, and the only seaport in South Arabia from which Jews could emigrate. With the help of the British authorities in Aden, there, were, there was built next to the city of Aden, Camp Gola, in which refugees from Yemen were received and well treated by the Zionist emissaries, and even got a modern Zionist education to facilitate their absorption into the Promised Land. This activity was the basis of the overall emigration of Yemeni Jewry following the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948 and the murder of Imam Yahya, who was considered the ultimate protector of the Jews. In the same year, Ahmad, the new Imam, decided to let the Jews leave his country to Israel on two conditions. They had to sell their, all their property to Muslims and to teach the Muslims their crafts. Both conditions were not properly fulfilled. But in any event, more than 50,000 Jews left the country from 1949 to 1951 through Aden, except for several thousand who preferred to stay, clinging on to the property and or hoping to collect on loans owned by, owed by Muslims. A thin trickle of emigration continued until 1954 and even later in 1962, on the eve of the Republican Revolution. Since then, up to the early 1990s, an iron curtain had fallen on the Jews of Yemen. Some left. However, nominally to the U.S., but most to Israel. No more than 2,000 Jews still live in Yemen, but now it's around 50. Uh, this is the, the, the source I'm getting from was probably written a while ago. Since their first emigration to Jerusalem in 1881, the Yemenite Jews dreamed of settling in their new homelands as farmers. The, that was the hope when they settled in Kafar HaSholia, and that was what their stimulated leader, Rabbi Abraham Nadaf, who lived from from. Uh, 1891 to 1920, purchased land for the agricultural settlement. Uh, and I think he uh, just uh, uh, was the rabbi from that time, from 1891 to 1920, to purchase land for agricultural settlement and to establish a Shiva Zion society designed for the same goal. Actually, Yemenite Jews lived as farmers in the Nahalat Israel Ramah, not far from Jerusalem, for about a year, from 1895 to 1896. In addition to the agricultural settlements next to the Hebrew Mashavot, they established prior they established prior to the founding of the State of Israel two independent Moshavim. El Ashiv in 1933 and Ge'ulim in 1945. But the archives of the Parahut HaTemanim, the main Yemeni organization in the land of Israel, inform us that the Zionist organizations did not respond positively to their initiatives to establish agricultural settlements. However, after the mass immigration of Yemeni Jews from 1949 to 1951, the policy was taken uh, the policy was to take them out of the transit camps, Ba'abarot, and settle them in abandoned Arab villages, and now and and later in new localities of farmers in more than fifty places. Soon it became clear, however, that not all Yemeni Jews were fit for 
were fit or wanted to be farmers, and many of them left for urban, the urban settlements, leaving only about 35 Yemeni Moshaviv. Since then, Yemeni immigrants and their descendants practiced all kinds of professions, marking their increased social and political acculturation in the state of Israel. During mandatory Palestine, the total number of persons were registered as immigrants from Yemen between the years of April 1939 and December 1945 was put at 4,554. The vast majority of Yemenite immigrants had settled in that country prior to this time. Throughout the periods of Ottoman Palestine and Mandatory Palestine, Jews from Yemen had settled primarily in agricultural settlements in the country, namely Pedach Tikva, Rishon Letzion, Rehovot, Wadi Khanin, Be'er Yaakov, Hadera, Zichron Yaakov, Yevanael, Gedera, Ben Shemen, Kineret, Deganaya, Degania, and Milhamia. Others chose to live in the urban areas of Jerusalem, Jaffa, Tel Aviv, Jaffa, Tel Aviv and later Netanya. By 1947, there were an estimated 35,000 Jews living in Israel. The largest bulk of this immigration to Israel, however, came after the, the declaration of the state. Israel initiated Operation Manja Carbon in June 1949 and airlifted most of Yemen's Jews to Israel by September 1950. In 1947, the, after the partition vote of the British Mandate of Palestine, Arab Muslim rioters, assisted by the local police force, engaged in a pogrom in Aden that killed 82 Jews and destroyed hundreds of Jewish homes. Aden's Jewish community was economically paralyzed as most of the Jewish stores and businesses were destroyed. Early in 1948, the unfounded rumor of the ritual murder of two girls led to looting. The increased perilous situation led to the emigra emigration of virtually the entire Yemenite Jewish community between June 1949 and 1950 in Operation Magic Harbor. During this time, over 50,000 Jews emigrated to Israel. Operation uh, Magic Carpet and, uh, in Yemen, uh, began in June 1949 and ended in September 1950. Part of the operation happened during the 1947 to 1948 Civil War and Mandatory Palestine in the 1948 Arab-Israeli War, uh, which was from May 15, 1948 to March 10, 1949. The operation was planned by the Arab, Ju Ju uh, by the not Arab, but the uh, the operation was planned by the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee. The plan was for the Jews from all over Yemen to make their way to the Aden area. Specifically, the, the Jews were to arrive in the Hashed camp and live there until they could be airlifted to Israel. Hashed was an old British military camp in the desert, about a mile away from the city of Sheikh Uthman. The operation took longer than it was originally planned. Over the course of the operation, hundreds, hundreds of migrants died in Hashed camp, as well as on the plane rides to Israel. By September 1950, almost 50,000 Jews had, specifically, had been success, successfully airlifted to the newly formed state of Israel. A smaller continuous migration was allowed to continue until 1962, when the civil war put an abrupt halt to any further Jewish exodus. And according, according to official statement by Alaska Airlines, well, I'll, I'll be talking about this uh, later in uh, part two. When Alaska Airlines sent them on Operation Magic Carpet 50 years ago, uh, so this would probably be like in 2000, uh, Warren and, uh, or like 1999, Warren and Maria Mesger didn't realize they were embarking on the venture of a lifetime. Warren and Mesger, a DC-4 captain, and Maria Mesger, a flight attendant, were part of what turned to be one of the greatest feats of Alaska's airline, airline's 67-year uh, history, airlifting thousands of, uh, at, at the time when this was written, um, when the source I'm getting off this, of, of the source I'm getting off of thousands, airlifting thousands of Yemenite Jews to the newly created nation of Israel. The logistics, of, the logistics of it all made the task daunting. Fuel was hard to come by. Flight and maintenance crews had to be positioned throughout the Middle East, and desert sands wreaked havoc on engines. It took a whole lot of resourcefulness 
throughout the better part of 1949 to do it. But in the end, despite being shot and even bombed upon, the mission was, <gasps> the mission was accomplished. And without a single loss of life. One of the things that really got to me when we were unloading the plane at Talvis and Marianne was who assisted Raleigh's nurses on a number of flights. A little old lady came out to me and took the hem of my jacket and kissed it. She was giving me a blessing for getting them home. We were the wings of eagles. For both Marion and Warren, the assignment came on the heels of flying the airline's other great adventures in the late 1940s, the Berlin Airlift. I had no idea what I was getting into. Absolutely not, remembered Warren, who retired in 1979 as Alaska's chief pilot and vice president of flight operations. It was pretty much the seat of the pants flying in those days. Navigation was by dead reckoning and eyesight. Planes were getting shot at. The airport in Tel Aviv was getting bombed all the time. We had extra fuel tanks in the plane, so we had to... So we had the range to avoid landing in Arab territory. In the wake of 1940 Arab, Arab in the wake of the 1948 Arab-Israeli War, when vast territories were added to the state of Israel, the Jewish Agency, under the good offices of Levi Eshkol, then head of settlement department in that agency, decided to settle many of the new immigrants arriving in Israel in newly founded agricultural communities. The idea was given further impetus when Yosef Waits of the Jewish National Fund proposed settling many of the country's new immigrants upon agricultural farms built in the recently acquired territories in the, in mount, in the mountainous regions in Galilee and in the Jerusalem Corridor, places heretofore sparsely settled. It was decided that these new immigrants, many of whom were Yemenites, would make the livelihood by preparing the land for cultivation and planting trees. The first stage of this plan was to call such places work villages, later to be converted to cooperative farms, Moshavim. In this matter were called were, in this matter were established Eshtaol, Yishi, Ajur, Dabrian Gimel, Alar Aleph, Alar Bet, Kesalon, among other places. Although the majority of these frontier places were later abandoned by the new immigrants from Yemen from more urban places in central, central Israel. This prompted Levi Eshkol to write a, in a letter to Prime Minister Ben-Gurion uh, dated April 10, 1950. The Yemenite vision doesn't allow him to see what he can do in the places of boulders and rocks. He cannot imagine such a development as Nivalam, which sits upon dry rock. Instead, he imagined that he is being deprived. Many Yemenite Jews became irreligious through the re-education program of the Jewish Agency. In 1947, strikes strikes organized in Aden uh, against the UN's decision to part, par partition Palestine turned into bloody riots that led to the deaths of 82 Jewish people. Shops were looted, homes and schools burnt. This is thought to been have the this is thought to have been the main trigger behind the airlifts of the Yemeni Jews to Israel, beginning in 1949. And and th though many of those who left were also motivated by socio-economic reasons and a desire for a better life. Following the departure of the majority of the community in the 1940s, Jews were forbidden to leave from 1962 until 1992, when 250 Jews migrated to Israel. Until 1976, when an American diplomat came across a small Jewish community in a remote region of northern Yemen, it was believed that the Yemenite Jewish community was extinct. As a result, the plight of Yemenite Jews went, un went unrecognized by the outside world. It turned out that some people stayed behind during Operation Magic Carpet because family members did not want to leave the sick or elderly relatives behind. These Jews were forbidden from emigrating and not allowed to contact relatives from abroad. They were isolated and trapped, scattered throughout the mountainous regions in northern Yemen, lacking food, clothing, medical care, medical care and religious articles. As a result, some Yemenite Jews abandoned their faith and converted to Islam. For a short time, Jewish organizations were allowed to travel openly, openly within Yemen, distributing Hebrew books and materials to the Jewish community. The State Department reported that in mid-2000, the government suspended this policy of Yemeni-origin Israeli passport holders to travel to Yemen on laissez-faire laissez documents. 
However, Yemeni, Israeli, and other Jews may travel freely to and within Yemen on non-Israeli passports. In January 2001, the ruling General People's Party placed the Yemeni Jewish citizen on, on the slate for a parliamentary election for the first time. The candidate, Ibrahim Ezer, was reportedly recommended by President Ab Ali Ab Abdallah Salah as a gesture to the incoming Bush administration in a bid to receive economic aid for Yemen. The General Election Committee subsequently rejected Ezra's application on grounds that a candidate must be the child of two Muslim parents. Political analysis speculated that the true reason was, was a desire to not, to not to establish a precedent of, of allowing a Jew to run for office. In 2007, the Houthi movement issued direct threats to the Jews of Al-Salam village in northern Yemen. In January, Houthi military uh, members issued written warnings to 45 Jews of Al-Salam, giving them 10 days to leave. The government responded by relocating relocating the threatened group to nearby town of Sada'a and launching an offensive against the rebels. Amid increased fighting in the area, the government again relocated the displaced Jews, this time to the camp of Sana'a, providing them with housing and other insurance and other assistance. Uh, this will be uh, talked about later in detail in part two. In 2008, in response to multiple violent attacks on Jewish citizens, including the murder of Rabbi Moshe, Moshe Yasnari by Islamic by an Islamic radical, President Salah planned to relocate the Jewish community members from the Amman district in the city of Raida and to the capital, Sana'a. Once there, each Jewish family received a plot of land and joined the community of around 50 Jews already transferred to the capital city in 2007. At Sana'a, the Jews faced less danger of their attack from Muslim neighbors as the government maintained law and order. Further attacks against the Yemeni Jews continued to occur. In 2008, Moshe Yaich al-Nahari, a resident of Rada was killed by another resident who poorly shouted convert or die. Instability and violence followed following the 2011 uprising and an ouster uh, a year later of then President Saleh who came who in, who in some ways had sought him to present himself as a protector of the Yemeni Jewish community have have contributed to an upsurge in the numbers of the Jewish of Jews leaving the country. They have increasingly faced hostility and harassment in a relatively well known incident in twenty twelve. Arad Zidani was accused of practicing witchcraft and murdered a market near uh, Sadan. The lack of protection and possibility of, of harassment became even more acute after the civil war in 2014. Across large settlements of Yemeni society has persisted a widespread conflation of the, of the Jewish faith with Zionism, which endangers animosity towards Jews. In 2009, also in response to the heightened threat of, to the Jewish community from Islamist radicals, the United Jewish Communities, US, the U.S. State Department, local federations, and the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society began to working together to implement the evacuation of close to half the remaining Jewish population in Yemen. 110 Yemenite Jews were scheduled to be evacuated over the course of two weeks in March 2009. The expense of absorbing the immigrants would be $800,000 that would go toward resettlement costs, including food, housing, and social service programs. In 2009, Yemenite, Yemeni authorities moved 70 Jews from northern Yemen to a compound in Sana'a, openly admitting they could not protect them elsewhere, and the Yemeni Jews did not have the means to earn a living in their new homes. On May 22, 2012, Aaron Zidani, a Jewish Yemeni man, was stabbed to death in the capital city of Sana'a, and his friends believe Al-Qaeda may have been behind the attack. I'll be discussing that more in uh, part two, but more in detail. There are currently uh, less than 100 Jews li living in Yemen, which is, uh, there's about like 50, as I said before. In October 2015, the Yemeni Jews handed down handed an ultimatum to the tiny Jewish community, convert to Islam or leave. Yemeni Jews sought out assignment in Israel and the United States due to the country's ongoing ongoing war with Houthi, Houthi rebel tribes. The government ultimatum stated that they would not be able to protect the Yemeni Jews if they remained in the country as Jews. 
The U.S. and Britain, the U.S. and Britain, countries that have historically helped Yemeni Jews and facilitated bringing groups of them to Israel, closed their embassies in Yemen in early November 2015. Yemeni Jews have suffered terribly during the country's civil war and are almost completely oppressed by the Houthi leadership. Houthis are forcing the last Jews of Yemen to, or Houthis are forcing the last Jews in Yemen to fight their fight in their civil war against Saudi Arabian forces, often on the front lines. Nineteen of the last remaining Jews were airlifted to. Uh, to, were airlifted to Israel on March 21, 2016, by the Jewish Agency. The secret operation was rescued all but 50 Yemeni Jews had been in planning for over a year and included coordination with the U.S. State Department. The remaining Jews refused to leave, even though transportation, transportation to Israel was offered. The Jew, uh, Jewish Agency Chair Nathan Nathan Sharansky excitedly stated, From Operation Magic Carpet in 1949 until the present day, the Jewish Agency has helped bring has helped bring Yemenite Jewry to home to Israel. Today we, we bring that historic mission to a close. This chapter in the history of the world's oldest Jewish community is coming to an end. But Yemenite Jewry, Yemenite Jewry's unique 2,000-year-old contribution to the Jewish people will continue in the state of Israel. A Jewish man, Rabbi Yahya Yusuf Yaish, was arrested by the Yemeni community following a week for helping the group smuggle a historic and culturally significant Torah, out of the, Torah school out of the country. country. The rabbi, along with a Muslim airport worker, were arrested and after the authorities learned of the operation through news media. The Yemeni, the Yemeni government contests that the Torah is government property and does not belong to the Jewish community. In Yemen itself, there, t there exists a, today a small Jewish community in, in the town of Beit Harash, a small Jewish enclave that also exists in the town. A small Jewish enclave also exists in the town of Raya, which lies approximately 35 miles north of Sanaa. Yemen, Yemen's remaining Jews are caught between Zionists and urgent migration and Hasidic Satamar Jews, urging them to stay and avoid contamination in Israel. Immigration of the remaining Yemeni Jews is also slow due to adverse reports of returnees who found Israel culturally alien or who found their socio-economic conditions difficult. Furthermore, the Jewish community has long been widely accepted in Yemen and many of its remaining members are elderly and thus reluctant to leave. When in public, individuals have sought to conceal their Jewish identity and refrain from practicing religious rituals outside of the privacy of their homes. Unique cultural traditions for which the community has historically been renowned in Yemen and further afield, such as metalworking and in particular the, handcra the handcrafting of silver jewelry, are close to disappearing. The country's deteriorating economic situation has put even greater pressure on the community, and in March 2016, what was in what was uh, thereafter deemed the final operation of its kind, 17 Jews were secretly airlifted by the Israeli government. The community's remaining Jewish population resides near the northern town of Raida, as well as in a compound of Sana'a. The community is now thought to be number less than 50 people. The Jews are scattered and, and the communal construction no longer exists. Yemenite Jews have little social interaction with their Muslim neighbors and are largely Muslim neighbors and are largely prevented from communicating with world Jewry. It is believed that there are two synagogues still functioning in Sakya and in Am Amla. Religious life has not changed much in the past few centuries. Jews continue to maintain strict observance of the Jewish tradition to ensure that they adhere to the laws of Kashrut or kosher. Jews are not allowed to eat with meals with Muslims. Also, marriage is absolutely forbidden outside of the religion. The remaining community is con concentrated in northern Yemen. It comprises of the Yehud al Maghrib Western Jews and Yehud al Mashrab. Eastern Jews. These Jews live, mostly live in the, in the villages in the vicinity of Sada'a, which is located in Sada'a province, close to the Saudi border. The community is extremely insular. Uh, 
the last section of this uh, Yemenite Jews Part 1 episode uh, was where I'll be talking about the unique culture of the Yemenite Jews. The unique culture of the Yemenite Jews. Yemenite Jews and the Aramaic-speaking Kurdish Jews are the only communities who maintain the tradition of reading the Torah in the synagogue in, both he in the both Hebrew and Aramaic Targum translation. Most Yemenite non most non-Yemenite synagogues have a specific person, person called Baal Kore, who reads from the Torah scroll when congregants are called to the Torah scroll for an aliyah. In the Yemenite tradition, each person called to the Torah scroll for an aliyah reads for himself. Children under the age of Bar Mitzvah are often given the sixth aliyah. Each verse of the Torah reads in Hebrew, which is followed by the Aramaic translation, usually chanted by a child. Both the sixth aliyah and the Targum have a simple, simplified melody, distinct from the general Torah melody used for aliyah aliyot. Like most other Jewish communities, Yemenite Jewish books, Yemenite Jews chant different melodies for Torah, Prophets, Haftarah, Megillat Achiyah, Book of Lamentations, Koheret, Itzaskeles, read during Sukkot, and Megillat Esther, the scroll of Esther read on Purim. Unlike Ashkenazi communities, there are melodies for Mishle, Proverbs, and Psalms. Every Yemenite Jew knew, knew how to read the tor from the Torah scroll with the correct pronunciation and tune. And ex exactly right in every detail. Each man who was called to the Torah read his section by himself. All of this was possible because children, right from the start, learned to read without vowels. Their diction is much more correct, correct than the Swartic and Ashkenazic dialect. The results of their education are outstanding. For example, if someone is speaking with his neighbors and needs to quote a verse from the Bible, he speaks it out by heart, without pause or effort, with it with its melody. In larger Jewish communities, such as Sa'ana and Sada, Boys were sent to the Malamid at age, at age of three to begin their religious learning. They attended the Malamid from early dawn to sunset on, Thursday, on Sunday through Thursday and, and, and until noon on Friday. Jewish women were required to have a th thorough knowledge of, of the laws pertaining to Kashru and Taharat, Mishpacha, family purity, i.e. Nida. Some women even mastered the laws of Shechita, thereby acting as ritual slaughters. People also sat on the floors of the synagogue instead of sitting on chairs, as similar to what... as similar to the way many non-Ashkenazi Jews sat in synagogues. This is in accordance with what Rabbi Maimonides wrote in, in his Mishnah Torah. We are to practice respect in synagogues, and all people, and all of the people of Israel in Spain, and in the West, and in the area of Iraq, and in the land of Israel, are accustomed to light lanterns in the synagogues, and to lay out mats on the ground in order to sit upon them. But in the cities of Edom, portions of Europe, there they sit on chairs. The lack of Chairs may have also been to provide more space for prostration, another ancient Jewish observance that the, La the Jews of Yemen continued to practice until very recent times. There are still a few very there are still a few Yemenite Jews who prostrate themselves during part of everyday Jewish prayer, called Achnun, supplication, though such individuals usually do so in privacy. In the small Jewish community that exists today in Beit Harash, prostration is still done during Tachnun prayer. Jews of European origin generally prostrate themselves only during certain portions of special prayers during Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Prostration was, com was a common practice amongst all Jews until some point during the late Middle Ages or Renaissance period. Like Yemenite Jews' homes, the synagogues in, Yemenite, in Yemen had to be lower in height than the lowest mosque in the area. In order to accommodate this, synagogues were built into the ground to give them more space without looking large from the outside. In some parts of the in Yemen, Minyanim were were, would often just meet in the homes of Jews, instead of the community having a separate building for a synagogue. Beauty and artwork were saved for the ritual objects in the synagogue and the home. Yemenite Jews also wore a distinctive talit often found to this day. 
The Yemenite talit features a wide atara and large corner patches, embellished with silver or gold threads, and the fringes along the sides of the talit are netted. According to the Baladi custom, the sitzit are tied with seven chuliot, hitches, based on Maimonides' teachings. On Sabbath days, the traditional Yemeni bread was not hala, as found in Western Jewish communities, but the kubane, which was eaten on Sabbath morning, Shabbat mornings after first making the blessing over two flatbreads baked in an earthen oven. During a Yemeni Jewish wedding, the bride was bedecked with jewelry and wore a traditional wedding costume, including an elaborate headdress decorated with flour and rulies, which were believed to ward off evil. Gold threads were woven into the fabric of her clothing. Songs were sung as a part of a seven-day wedding celebration, with lyrics about friendship and love alternating, alternating verses of Hebrew and Arabic. In Yemen, the Jewish practice was not, far, was not for the groom and his bride to be secluded in a canopy, chubah, hung on full poro for poles, as is widely practiced today in Jewish weddings, but rather in a bridal chamber that was, in fact, a highly decorated room in the house of the groom. Groom. This room was traditionally decorated with large hanging sheets of colored patterned cloth, repl replete with wall cushions and short-length mattresses for reclining. Their marriage is consummated when they have been left together alone in this room. This ancient practice finds expressions in the writing of I Isaac ben Abamari, who lived from uh, 1122 to 1193. Author of Sefer Ha'itur, concerning the benedictions of the Bible group. Now the hupa is when her father delivers her unto her husband, bringing her into that house wherein is some new innovation, such as the sheet surrounding the walls. For re recite in the Jerusalem Talmud, um, Sota 46a, or Sota 9:15. The those bridal chambers, hupoth hathanim, they hang within them pattern sheets and gold embroidered ribbons, etc. After immigration to Israel, the regional varieties of Yemenite bridal jewelry were replaced by a uniform item that became identified with the community, the splendid bridal garb of Sana'a. Before the wedding, Yemenite and other Eastern Jewish communities performed the henna ceremony, an ancient ritual with Bronze Age origins. The, the family of the bride mixed the paste derived from henna, that, henna plant that is placed on the palms of the bride and the groom and their guests. After the plate is wa paste is washed off, a deep orange stain remains that gradually, remains that gradually fades over the next week. Yemenites had a special affinity for henna due to the biblical and Talmudic references. Henna in the Bible is Kampir, and is mentioned in the Song of Solomon, as well as in the Talmud. The tradition is also practiced by the Pashtuns and the Afghan Jews. My beloved is unto me a cluster of campfire and vineyards of Engedi, a Song of Solomon. A Yemenite Jewish Western wedding custom, specific only to the community of then, is is the talbis revolving around the groom. A number of special songs are sung by the men while holding candles, and the groom is dressed in a golden garment. Education of the children was of paramount importance unto Jewish fathers in Yemen, who, as a rule, sent their children from an early age to study the portions of the Torah, usually under the tutelage of a local teacher. Often, such teachings were, con were conducted in the home of their teacher. It was not uncommon for the teacher to be occupied in his trade, coat maker, weaver, etc., while instructing students. All instruction consisted of the recital and memorization of sacred texts. The most astute of these students, when they came of age, pursued a higher Jewish education, which almost ended entailing stu studying shechita, ritual slaughter, and re receiving a license uh, from a qualified instructor to slaughter domestic livestock. Yemenite Hebrew has been studied by scholars, many of whom believe it to contain the most ancient phonetic and grammatical features. There are two main pronunciations of Yemenite Hebrew, considered by many scholars to be the most accurate modern-day form of Biblical Hebrew. Although there are technically a total of five that relate to the regions of Yemen. In the Yemenite dialect, all Hebrew letters have a distinct sound, except for Samech and Sid, which are pronounced, uh, like in, I don't know how to pronounce them, 
but uh, the, the pronounce, but pronounced differently. The Sa'ani Hebrew pronunciation used by the majority has been directly critiqued by the Saadia Gion since it contains the Hebrew letters Jamil and Guf, Gimil and uh, Guf, which, which he rules is incorrect. There are Yemenite scholars such as Rabbi Rotsan Orusi who say that such a perspective is misunderstanding of is a misunderstanding of this of Sadia Gaon's words. Yemenite Hebrew, Ivrit Tamanit, also referred to as Tamani Hebrew, is is the pronunciation system for Hebrew traditionally used by Yemeni Jews. Yemenite Jews brought their language to Israel through immigration. Their first organized immigration through the region began in 1882. Rabbi Mazuz postulates his hypothesis through the Jerbin Tuninchin, Jewish dialects use of Gimonkuf. Switching to Jimon and Guf when talking with Gentiles in the Arabic dialect of Jerba, while Jewish boys learned Hebrew from the age of three, it was used primarily as a liturgical and scholarly language. In daily life, Yemenite Jews spoke in regional Judea Arabic. Yemenite Hebrew had been has been studied by language scholars, many of whom believe it to retain older and phonetic grammatical features and lost elsewhere. Yemenite speakers of Hebrew have garnered considerable praise from languages prayers because of because of their use of grammatical features from classical Hebrew. Tunisian rabbi and scholar Rabbi Meir Mazuz once said the Yemenites once once said of the Yemenites that are good grammarians. It is believed that some scholars that its phonology was heavily influenced by spoken Yemeni Arabic. Other scholars and rabbis, including Rabbi Yusuf Kaf Kafi and Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook, hold the view that Yemenite Hebrew was not influenced by Yemenite Arabic, as this type of Arabic was also spoken by Yemenite Jews and is distinct from the liturgical Hebrew and the conversational Hebrew of the communities. Among other things, Rabbi Kafi notes that the Yemenite Jews spoke Arabic with a distinct Jewish flavor, inclusive of pronouncing many Arabic words with vowels foreign to, Ar to the Arabic language, uh, the Kamats and Tisseris. He argues that the pronunciation of Yemenite Hebrew was not only uninfluenced by Arabic, but influenced the pronunciation of, of Arabic by those Jews, despite the Jewish presence in Yemen for over a millennium. The oldest Yemenite manuscripts are those of the Hebrew Bible, which the Yemenite Jews call Taj, crown. The oldest text dating from the 9th century in each of them has the Sorch Masoretic introduction, while many, many contain Arabic commentaries. Yemenite Jews were acquainted with the words of the Sadi Agon, Rashi, Kimhi, Nachmanidi, Zehuda Halevi, and Isaac Amara, besides producing a number of adjectives from among them. In the 14th century, Nathaniel ben Isaiah wrote an Arabic commentary on the Bible in the second half of the 15th century. Sadia ben David al-Adani was the author of, the, of a commentary on Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Abraham ben Solomon wrote on the Prophets. Among the Midrash collections from Yemen mentioned should be made, made of the Midrash Haggadol of David Ambar Amram al-Adani. Between 1413 and 1430, the the physician Yahya Zachariah ben Solomon wrote a compilation entitled Midrash Hafez, which includes the Pentateuch, Lamentations, Book of Esther, and other sections of the Hebrew Bible. Between 1484 and 1493, David al-Awani composed his Midrash al-Wajiz al-Muguni, the earliest complete Judeo-Arabic copy of Maimonides' Guide for the Perplexed, copied in Yemen in 1380, was found in, in the India Office Library and added to the collection of the British Library in, in 1992. Among the Yemenite poets who wrote, in, who wrote Hebrew and Aramaic hymns modeled after the Spanish school, mention may be made of Zakaria, Yachan, Al-Dahari, and the members of the Shabazi family. Al-Dahari's work, Al work, which made the use of poetic genre known as Maskama, a style in, inspired by Hariri, was written in 1573 under the title Sefer HaMusar. Herein, 
The author describes in 45 chapters his travels through India, Iraq, Turkey, Syria, the land of Israel, and Egypt, including a description of Rabbi Yosef's Karl's seat of learning in Tefet. The philosophical writers include Sadia ben Jabez and Sadia ben Masud. Both at the beginning of the 14th century, Ibn Ahuaz, author of the treatise in the form of a dialogue in in rhyme prose, and Turnbine's author, the flower of Yemen, As Hassan al Dimari, and Joseph Halavi ben Jefes, who wrote, who wrote philosophical treatises in Ari Israel and Kitab al Masha'ah. A tunic and a habit, latter, uh, the latter made with a central uh, hat, were, were traditional items of clothing worn by Jewish merry men in Yemen. Leading rabbinic scholar and sage, Rabbi Yosef Kafi, described the manner in which they would wrap their habits, saying that the habit was sometimes worn while wrapped around a man's head, or simply part, part, partly draped over his head. German ethnographer Erich Bauer described the differences between Jewish and Gentile garb, making note of the fact that differences only existed in their outer garments, but not in their undergarments. He, off, he, also, offered the, he also offered the following description. Instead of trousers, the Yemenite Jews, as well as Yemenite Arabs, carry a piece of cloth worn upon, around the hip, loincloth, called Mazar. The expression... Spruchetta, quoted by Sapir, Jacob Sapir, is used for is is used for the same piece for the same piece of clothing by the Jews in Aden and partly also by Arabs from Yemen. The Mazar consists of one dark blue cardin that is wound a few times around the waist and which is held up by a belt made of cloth material or leather. The Mazar is allowed to reach down to knees only. Today the Yemenites will therefore wear underwear made like unto Short-length trousers called sewal instead of the traditional loincloth beneath their tunics. A blue shirt that has split, that has a split that extends down to the waistline and that is close at neck level is worn over the mazar. If the shirt is multicolored and striped, it is called tatani, meaning the lower. If it is monochrome, it is called antari. Finally, the outer layer of clothing worn over the mazar and antari is a dark blue cotton tunic. The tunic is a coat-like garment that extends down to the knees, which is fully open in the front and is closed with a single button in the neck. Over the tunic, the Jewish people were not allowed to wear a girdle. As noted, some of the men's dress codes were first upon them by law of, by laws of the state. For example, formerly Jews in Yemen were not allowed to wear clothing of any color besides blue. Earlier, in Jacob Safir's time, 1859, they wore outer garments that were utterly black. While German while German-Danish explorer Karsten Neuberger visited Yemen in 1763, the only person he saw wearing blue-colored tunic was the Jewish courtier, the minister and prince, Salim ben Aran Iraqi al-Kohen, who served under two kings for a period of no less than 28 years. The traditional Yemeni tali is a full-length tali made from fine wool or goat's hair of a single brown or black, black or brown color, called samla, but it was not unique to the Unto the Jews alone, Muslims would also Muslims would also wear similar items of covering to protect them from the heat or rain. Jewish garments, however, were the ritual fringes prescribed for such garments. The wearing of such garments was not unique to prayer time alone, but was worn the entire day. Later, the de decorative black and white strip shawls were imported into the country from Europe, which were highly valued by the Jews of Yemen, who wore them on special occasions and on the Shabbat day. The small tali tali katan was introduced into Yemen via den from European centers and principally worn by rabbis and educated persons. Jewish women in Yemen were traditionally wore branched pantaloons beneath their long black tunics. The pantaloons were usually made of a jet black color, tapering closer to the ankles, and decorated at the lower seams with a fine embroidery stitch of silver. The tunic served as both a dress and a long sleeve blouse, all in one piece. In addition, all young girls wore a black conical shaped of hat upon their heads, which took place of a scarf. These hats were in local vernacular gargouche, 
were also decorated as embroidered sash about its borders, being besides being equipped with tapering flaps that extended down to the ears to the nape of the neck. Older women Sana'a would wear a broad veil-like scarf over their heads, called maswan, especially when going out in public places, and which was traditionally worn above the close, closer-fitting scarves that covered their hair. All women were adorned with black slippers when walking in public places, Only very or only very and only very small girls would walk barefoot. Jewish women and girls in Haryan Asham, in the far northern districts of Yemen, would, did not make a use of gargouche, but wear a black scarf tied to the, firmly to their foreheads, resembling a black band, along with the covering made by an additional scarf that covered the hair. And that concludes part one of Yemeni Jews. Uh, part two will be coming out on Sunday, May 10, 2020. And until next time, this is Worldwide Jew signing off.